Hi everyone and welcome back to Making Milestones. On today's podcast we are doing a very special conversation with someone that I'm sure you've all been waiting for me to collab with and we're going to talk about a lot of things related to young horses of varying ages which I think is a very important and lengthy conversation. So this is going to be one of my longer podcasts that I've had and after this sponsored message I am going to introduce who I'm doing this podcast with today. So thank you for listening in and I hope you all enjoy. Okay, so on today's podcast, we have the moment you've all been waiting for. Jill from Jet Equitheory is on here. We're going to talk about everything about young horses. Jill, introduce yourself. Yeah, so I am Jill. I am excited to be doing this episode because we both spend a lot of time working with young horses, but um, I am predominantly a positive reinforcement trainer uh, from Arkansas in the U.S. and um, spend a lot of time working with baby horses. I think we've got about four on the farm right now and um, I've grown up working with off the tracks and uh, young thoroughbreds, bringing them up and training them and focusing more on the training rather than the competing aspect. But now that we've got babies, I am falling into this world as well and uh, that's where I'm at. So Awesome. Yeah, we both have, like, like, a lot of similar experience with the thoroughbreds and whatnot, so this will be Mm -hmm. a good conversation, because also, like, show jumping and eventing have a lot of similar practices when it comes to young horses. So, I guess the first thing to start with, because I get a lot of questions about this, like, when I was breeding for Banksy, this is one of the most asked questions before he was born, and it was about imprint training foals, and then just also other questions related to, like, when are you going to do this, this, and this with him? And <laughs> yep. I find anyone that has a young horse, even if it's not quite a baby, they can probably speak to this, that a lot of people will ask you things that are quite a bit above what they're doing currently and be like, oh, when's this going to happen or what's this? <laughs> like, I have and no idea it, at all. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah. imprint training falls into that. And um, basically, like, I guess I'll just give a quick definition for people yeah. who don't know what it is. Obviously, imprint training when you're thinking, or imprinting when you're thinking of, like, ducks and stuff, it means they imprint on the first thing they see and then follow, like, their motherly figure around. Mm -hmm. Horses don't have that moment where they actually, like, imprint on something where they see, like, their mom and then immediately follow whatever they see first. They don't have that. So the term was coined by Dr. Robert Miller, who he used it to try to refer to a sensitive period of growth where they can learn the most. Um, And he had this list of things that they should do within this sensitive moment. And this was within like the first 36 hours after being born. And he would do things, everything from like holding the foal until they learn to stop fighting against the human and like holding them away from their mom until they stop and relax, Um, touching them all over their eyes, their belly, like their sheath, their anus everywhere. Like, like, and they even, like, one of them things that said, like, a rectal exam to a freaking baby. Yeah. Introducing clippers, rectal thermometers, practice rectal exams, yeah. And all sorts of these things are done continuously until the full, full relaxes. Yeah, when, um, I read your, <laughs> when I read that, I was like, Jesus Christ. Because, I mean, I've heard the, the, like, you're supposed to grab them and hold them until they stop fighting um, thing. But, um, and, like, uh, obviously that's not really <laughs> my prerogative with training, but... Um, yeah, I definitely got told that that was, like, how you imprint on them and, like, make them like people from the beginning, like, ducks. And I was like, uh, okay, don't have the science on that, but I'll take your word for it, I guess. I'm probably not going to do that, though. Yeah, and then, yeah it's, it's from this guy, and there's not really 
any actual science behind his theory other than he claims that like if you do this the horses will turn out better <laughs> yeah um, that's a lot of what and happens it's, it's, it's crazy because <laughs> that even says prepare them for the sensation of a girth and then he would say get yeah. like gunfire loud flapping flags oh and it's like stuff that's way older than what a baby needs within like the first few days yeah of being born so it like it, it's crazy but i and i don't think everyone does it to that extreme when they refer to imprint training no, yeah. um but if you just listen to how much of a loon the guy sounds like when he's saying what to do with babies, I don't really trust his opinion on, like, when to do it. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's, I think, that's what happens a lot with, um, you know, some other practices that, like, span the course of time is that, like, it started from this idea that's kind of based in science, but not entirely, and then those ideas get perpetuated and perpetuated until we, like, don't even really know why we still do it anymore, but it's still happening for some arbitrary reason like this like when you hear it you're like what the hell is going on but when I mean back then I mean I'm sure it made sense and then as it goes on and on you're like oh that's how it's always been done you know don't fix yeah there's a lot of stuff that still happens like that too for Mm -hmm. sure and the weird thing about this is they did do studies afterwards to compare horses who'd been imprinted onto once who hadn't, and they didn't find that the imprint horses had any advantage, and in some cases they had a disadvantage. And I could imagine with, like, so. Yeah, yeah, like, it, yeah, why? Why would they have a disadvantage? But No idea. Um, so, the, like, a lot of people that haven't raised foals, I think they read into articles like this, and then their views start to take that course, and then... <laughs> It creates yeah. problems in the future if they ever get around to having babies. So when Banksy yeah. was born, I tried to make, like, a pretty clear point of that, like, we weren't really handling him to the extent of this, and, like, he didn't get haltered, broke until he was um, quite a bit older, like, at least a month and a half or more, and he wasn't yeah. fully halter broke even at inspection well, at three months. And that that's, <laughs> that was awesome to me because, like, I mean – it's it seems so weird i think they're like me you and one uh claire eventing we all tend for some reason i don't know if you've noticed this but we have all kind of been on the same trajectory for some reason like somehow we all ended up with foals and also all having (laughs) horse exclusive jobs and stuff um i just thought it's funny but um you kind of paved the way for that because i mean seeing all of your posts before we got all of our foals was just like you're like you don't have to do all this stuff and get it done and i was like yeah i appreciate that but and in your article you also talked about um the sensitive period and i have a quote on my computer um it says the exact occurrence of the sensitive period for learning in full still remains to be found however some studies have concluded that handling throughout the first 42 days of life not the first like 36 hours um improved foals performance and halter training tasks when compared from 43 to 84 days of life which is mal and mccall 1996 and then this suggests that the sensitive learning period may occur within the first 42 days of life and you know you're talking about halter breaking do you say until three months yeah yeah um well he he'd like worn a halter before that but i just didn't teach him like he couldn't fully lead properly by the time inspection rolled around yeah. but i would say during the first 42 days like we really did make an effort to make him have like a positive association mm-hmm. with people because he really likes getting groomed and whatnot so like introducing him to stuff like the halter was never really a big deal because he enjoyed the presence of people and in my opinion like i'm not a scientist but i think <laughs> that's the most important thing for foals like they yeah. don't need to necessarily be 
learning specific tasks, but they need to be learning like a positive association and like a trust in people. Yeah. Because then anything you throw at them after that will come easier because they trust you. Yeah. And I completely agree. And like, I was thinking when I read that in your paper, that's what I wanted to talk to you about, but I guess you've kind of like nulled it because that's what you did with uh, Bansky anyway. Um, is Wait, is it Bansky or Banksy? Banksy. Banksy. I'm so dyslexic. It's not even funny. Um, <laughs> but, um, and I always, every time I read a name wrong, the first time, that's what sticks. He said, Oh yeah, same here. It's so bad. Um, okay. Anyway, so you like didn't even utilize that. Oh my God. My cat's going to throw up. <laughs> um, but I thought it was interesting because, um, like Azula learned to halt her and lead faster than any of the boys did. And I've been handling those boys every single day since they were born and they're three months old. And we got her untouched as a five month old. Like they told us that they had not been able to touch her at all. Like she just would not come near anybody. And, um, she was the easiest one to halt or break and she knows how to lead and Astro and Sterling know how to lead because they have to come in during the day. And, um, and then Dexter is just like, hooves flying out everywhere um when he's leading but oh my god i can hear my cat throwing up <laughs> jesus uh-huh. so professional on the podcast um just hope it's not on my bed dear god um oh god <laughs> hopefully not but um yeah so i mean i just thought it was interesting because i really don't think it matters as much as people think it does to like get that stuff in like right when they're younger and you can i think it comes from like they're easier to wrangle <laughs> when they're younger and you can kind of yeah, like, manhandle so them um, but Azula, I mean, I, I didn't teach her by like shoving her in a corner and throwing a halter on her. It was like successive approximation. I taught her to target first, which arguably like, should you teach a fault, whatever. She had a good time. She got lots of scratches out of it. And I swear <laughs> to God, they come out of the womb itchy. And, oh, yeah. um, so I taught her to put a halter on through scratches and like, didn't have to do any imprinting or anything. And she's further along than any of the other ones. And so, I mean... I have to agree. With yeah. Uh, well, and I don't think it matters as much either because, like, with Simon, he was, like, unhandled at, like, three years old, and now he's, like, packing a child around. Yeah. Um, so I think, like, the type of handling they get, honestly, is what matters the most. And I also think boys, in a lot of ways, don't mature as fast as the ladies do. And they, yeah. <laughs> they're especially, less, they're more goofy. Especially when but, they've got stud cult tendencies. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think I... I also put down, like, the studies that show the imprint training doesn't correspond with any natural communications or patterns in equine behavior, and sometimes foals are very distressed and strongly resist these methods. It's from McGreevy, 2012. And mm-hmm. I was wondering if, like, I mean, I, I put down wonder if positive reinforcement would be any different, but I feel like it would be. <laughs> like, I feel like oh, yeah. that corresponds way more to natural communication because, I mean, they groom each other, especially mares and foals. Um and would definitely decrease the stress in my opinion, but I don't know. Oh, it for sure would. Yeah. Because I also think with positive reinforcement, you simply cannot rush it to the same extent as if you just, like, manhandle them. So it wouldn't allow them to do it in that time period, I don't think. Yeah. Um, I agree. But it's it's interesting because I'm hearing about it, like, less and less now. Like, there's less people that actually reference it as imprint training. But I have seen, like, a lot of... um, full owners on Instagram doing things that I personally don't think are acceptable with young horses that in some cases are similar to imprint training in that they're introducing a much more adult concept to a very young baby yeah um 
So I think social media in some ways for a lot of, like not even just to young babies, it'll make them have more desire to kind of do more so that they have stuff to show and post to people because to some, like raising a young horse is kind of boring because you're doing a lot of nothing for a while. Yeah, Um, I mean, it's mostly just scratching them in the field and making them... Yeah, and like looking at them. Yeah, and I mean, playing games and stuff and like, I mean, Azula, I mean, she has such a good time with like leading because she's like well i get to follow you and then i get scratches and there's no like pressure or aversives or anything the way that i've taught her to lead and um and not that that's inherently like a bad way to train but like she just enjoys it and i frankly don't think she would respond <laughs> well if i just yanked on her i don't think really any of them do but um no. i it really is just a whole lot of nothing and i feel kind of bad because like i mean they're grungy looking because <laughs> they just hang out in the field all the day all the day yep all the time and um i just i don't know i feel like people are like okay well when are you gonna start doing things and it's you can't like and also the boys too i'm sure you know this because you've got little warm blood um the um he's a warm blood right i'm not making that up yeah okay um because both of our boys are the irish draught uh thoroughbred crosses and so at three months they're both 14 hands yeah, they're big. They're absurdly large, and I always forget that they're, <laughs> like, so little, and I uh, I catch myself expecting them to be doing more, and then I'm like, they're half Azula's age. I'm like, oh, yeah. half. And, I mean, they're going to take way longer to mature, too, because they're so large. <laughs> but Well, that's the thing, like, if, especially, like, with babies that are really, really quiet and well-behaved, like, people will throw more at them. Mm-hmm. than they probably should, especially if they look more mature. Yeah. And then, like, those are the exact types of babies that you shouldn't be, like, taking advantage of their good nature because then in the future it could make them, like, sour to work. And I think, like, this will extend into our conversation about, like, older yeah. young horses, but I think that's what sets a lot of horses up for failure. If they're made to, like, have a sourness towards people and training from a young age, and I think that the people who are, like, trying to saddle their yearlings or, like, lunging them often and doing, like, really hard training, I think those are the types of people most likely to create a really sour response. Because the more you do, the kind of the higher your expectations get. Um, and then the younger you do it, <laughs> the, the younger they are when they have, like, super high expectations well above their age level. Um, yeah, well, and beyond that, also the breakdown factor that you get with, like, Especially, like, lunging, like, anecdotally, I don't have, uh, like, statistics on it, but anecdotally, the young horses that I've known that have spent a lot of time lunging in uh, their yearling or less than year is, like, their knees and joints just do not last because they had so much wear and tear when nothing was (laughs) ready to go, and I don't think people realize that. Oh, I agree with that for sure. Yeah. And it, yeah, it's, it's unnecessary wear and tear in my opinion too, especially if you want to compete in the molder because you don't need to be doing it for any reason at that age, but then you are just wearing out the joints. Um, doesn't really make sense. Yeah. And I have lots of thoughts on <laughs> how that leads into competition and stuff, but, um, yeah, with the imprint training, we probably don't need to cover it as broadly because basically like in short, what I think for babies is that like 
for like the full first year of their life and like into the two into this two-year-old year there's no, no reason in my opinion to be lunging them and doing mm-hmm. anything like involving circles on a line that like and trotting and yeah. harder work like that like at maximum like I would do straight line walking like we did when we took Banksy for that trail yeah. ride and he's like he's like 16 months now yeah. um well and I was gonna so ask he's a like bit older like what do you think that like in the first year of life like what is your opinion on what they need to know I don't even think they need to know how to pony. He's just, he likes to go with his friends, which is why Mm -hmm. we did it. So, like, I don't think that's necessary. I just think, I think trailering is a necessity and they need to know how to trailer quietly and not nervously because if you ever did need to take them to the vet clinic for some reason, you need to be able to haul them safely. So mm-hmm. I think trailer loading is important and then halter skills where they can kind of like be led around and walk with you. Yeah. And then like decent tying, like especially with trailering, if you're going to start trailering with other other horses, they need to be good at tying. So like, yeah, like standing and tying, but also not for long periods of time. Like I wouldn't expect Banksy to stand tied quietly for like half an hour, you know, whereas yeah. like my older horses could do that and it wouldn't upset them. But I don't think babies should have to be that patient. Frankly, I don't when even they're know super Zoe, young. I don't even know if Zoe ties, to be honest with you. I kinda just normally loop it and hang on to it. I'm so paranoid about tying, but yeah, I think it's Yeah, tying makes me like I, I would never hard tie him either. Like that's another no. thing that I super don't agree with babies is especially when they're oh really young. God. I've seen a few people hard tie like foals that are still nursing and, and it nylon halters shit out of me. yeah and they tie them in nylon halters and they're like well that's the only Oof. way they learn to give to uh pressure and i'm like it's not <laughs> but they don't need to break their neck as like a two-month-old to learn how to give to pressure yeah. i don't know and like i like like the, yeah that's one of the things i really don't agree with is like patience pull time which is typically oh, done with young God, horses so i think it is absolutely like it's it's like it's just torture oh like horrible it's psychological torture because if they do stand quietly you're making them stand for an extensive period of time nervous like pulling back until they Mm -hmm. finally give up and to learn health helplessness yeah and they're usually babies and then it's also so dangerous because there are a lot of horses that would literally like hang themselves depending on how you have it tied yeah. or flip themselves over or break a neck and i don't like personally for me i don't understand why anyone would take that risk if they have like a promising young horse that they supposedly care about like why because would you, you put them in that situation then you don't have to do training because <laughs> the horse it's is so lazy big. i know and the thing is like i don't know i've heard people talk about it in d- multiple different contexts but if you think about like i don't know why i keep coming up with stupid cartoons <laughs> for reference but in spirit like is anybody thinking like oh yep the way to get this horse to break is to tie him to the pole for three days no food and water now everybody is like oh my god this is so cruel and then turn around and do it and you're like oh well the horse has to learn like but you're cheering so for spirit the whole time like it, it doesn't make any sense the dissonance make it make sense yeah well and it's so easy to teach them like they do not they simply do not need to even no. be put in the position where they pull back to learn how to tie it's um, unnecessarily it, aggressive as like i taught Banksy how to tie by getting like a loop of twine and then just running his rope through it and holding the end so if he did pull back i could pull and then release the pressure yeah. instead of the post doing it yeah. and he's never pulled back um and he, he ties like honestly better than a lot of older horses do so like I don't know. I think a lot of people put their foals and yearlings in really shitty, unfair circumstances and then either laugh at them when they respond poorly or get mad at them. Yeah. And <laughs> they're it, the ones that create shutdown horses. Yeah. I mean, I agree. And I was thinking, I'm glad that you said that because I was like, how would I start training tying? And then I was thinking just probably loop the lead rope around 
a post or something and just hang on to the end of it and not tie it. Um, but I'm also not entirely sure. I would have to think about that harder. <laughs> but um, yeah, if you get like a longer training rope, it's easy to do. And it like I don't know, like there's all these people that do these things. They say they love their horses, but then they set yeah. their horses up to like kind of be have trauma because of what they choose to do. Um, yeah, and I, I mean I like I get it and I'm sure you have compassion for it as well like I mean that's where you come from that's all you know but at the same time I'm like you're an able-minded adult you can do the information like when I was when we were me and my boss started talking about weaning and we were trying Mm -hmm. to decide because like two of the horses that are here that are the moms to the babies are not our horses one is a nurse mare and one is um not ours but we own Azula um but it's like we were like okay well we're gonna have to wean them at some point and um she was like well you know I normally do it at six months and just do a hard wean and I was like I really don't think that's the best method and she was like well why and I was like well let me double check and let me do some studies and she was like okay and I looked up um you know a lot of the information on it and I won't give like statistics because I'm a planning on doing a podcast on it when I have actually like really looked into it but the gist yeah. I got and from most people that have done it before because I asked on a bunch of different forums um, what people thought about it and generally speaking the studies show that like you're almost guaranteed to give them ulcers like that um, and like a severe case not just like mild um, also you end up with stereotypies and um, like weaving or cribbing or mm-hmm. um, it has also demonstrated to affect increased aggression later in life and also there's just really no reason like I mean well, not- it probably creates massive herd boundness I would yeah. assume because Lots it's so traumatic yeah and I mean some horses obviously come out of it just fine uh, that you can see you know but um, yeah. you never really know and also like how awful does it sound like you're just ripping a baby (laughs) away from its mom one day out of the blue mom's gone like that's it um and typically the preferred alternative is like fence line weaning where you just like kind of there's they can still touch each other and be near each other but they can't um nurse anymore but i mean we did with banksy yeah Yeah. and i'm i'm watching azula um because after i talked to my boss by the way she was like okay and then i was talking to her last night actually and she was like why do we even need to wean them? Why not just leave them? And I was like, oh, I love you so much for your willingness to adapt. Because, I mean, like, at some, but I mean, like, obviously they'll get weaned eventually. But, like, it's not mandatory that oh, it gosh. happens. Like, yeah, exactly. Except for, I think, the nurse mare will probably have to go after the end of the year. But we'll see. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's so obvious that Azula's mom is weaning her herself. Because um, she's unfortunately already pregnant again because (laughs) how we do things but um she uh like I just watched her the other day Azula tried to nurse like five times in a row and her mom just like threatened to kick her the whole time and bit her on the bum and finally Azula gave up I mean they do it on their own it's not really necessary and I think the only time that you really go for that is when you're trying to like either ride the mare or move the baby along too fast like we've been talking about this whole time yeah the other things that i would say with that though would be that for some mares they need to get weaned fast if the babies are quite large and the mare is losing condition too fast so in those cases i would too but like it really like i think it depends situationally if people can leave them together then why not leave them together and 
Well, that's, I don't know. Like, that's kind of where we're at. I mean, like, with Dexter, oh, my God, Dexter is, like, he, that was the most appropriate name because we ended up calling him Poindexter because he is such a mama's boy. I mean, like, Astro and Azula, they'll wander the whole field. Sterling's turning into the same way because we just put them all out together. Um, and they'll just wander away from their moms. They don't care. But, oh, my God, Dexter and Dixie are joined at the hip. He is never not with her. And Aww. I was, like, I was talking to her about it, and I was, like, I'm so worried, like, what are we going to do when we have to wean them? Because he's so attached to her. I mean, he's only three months, but still, like, generally people start the process around, like, eight months, you know, if they're not doing the abrupt six month. But it's like, uh. <laughs> and she was like, why can't we just leave them together? And I was like, that is the plan. Do that. <laughs> so smart. <laughs> Love you, lady. So, um, but yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of what we do is just related to people being impatient. And, like, mm-hmm. obviously there's certain exceptions. Like, I weaned Banksy earlier than I wanted to because it was an older mare who was, like, a nurse mare. So we were kind of like, you know, it's yeah. not fair to her to keep him on there longer than he has to be. Mm-hmm. But it was the slower wean. Like, I don't think – I hate when they just randomly – they're together with their mom literally all day, every day, and then they just freaking take them. Yeah. That's not nice. But, yeah, like – Obviously, with anything, there's certain situations where it's more justifiable. Right. So, like, in these types of conversations, I don't think anyone should really feel attacked and feel like they need to be like, oh, but what if, like, this one extreme right. exception situation? Um, <laughs> right. Because really none of that matters. There's certain situations where you got to do what you got to do, and it's understandable. But right. with, like, this young horse conversation that we're going to go into with the older horses, most of the stuff that's competition-related and related to when and how you start them is largely due to people just wanting to get to the end goal really quickly which i think is literally the biggest problem in training yeah. is that they want to do the end goal not the journey yeah <laughs> well and i mean like all of the evils yeah and i mean just from that you just sorry mean, i keep no, talking at the same time as you no it's fine i just have <laughs> the adderall's wearing off and <laughs> yeah i'm starting to interrupt you and try and cut you off but um that just reminds me that uh you're saying like what about this one extreme scenario like for Astro, one of our babies, um, his mom died when he was a month old. And, um, like, I mean, that was one of the worst nights of my life. And obviously we had no time to prep, no time to wean. He's a month old. And um, she colicked and went downhill, like, super fast. That's we, so sad. We think she had a problem with her pregnancy, and it just didn't, like, nothing happened until, like, a really hot day. And she colicked, whether chicken or the egg. We're pretty sure that um, something in there just went off because I've never seen a horse go downhill that fast from colic. I mean, that's so sad. It was it was horrible. And well, that must have been so traumatic for him. Oh my god! I mean, we like I'm getting chills thinking about it. We had him at the vet and like trying to like I mean, after she was put down, like we had to put him in the trailer and take him home by himself. Like it was the worst night ever. But we got the nurse mare there the next day, so. It was better, but still, like, the most traumatic thing I've ever witnessed in my entire life, and I hated that, and it broke my heart the whole drive home, and I was like, I have to focus on the road. No sad things. We can't think. (laughs) But, I mean, obviously, situations like that, like, you can't see that coming, and obviously, we would like to avoid that, um, and we're doing the best we can with the nurse mare, but... I mean, you can't win every time, but ideally, oh, yeah. that's that not with all parts of horse ownership exactly. and training too. Is yeah. that like there's always going to be an exception to the rule to some extent? But a lot of people work way too hard to find an excuse that makes them an exception, whether they are yeah. or not. Yeah, because I, I mean, you could argue, well, Astro is going to be fine. His mom, like, he didn't have her. He got technically weaned at a month old. 
like and he's he's fine he doesn't have stereotypies like i mean i don't know yet but <laughs> i haven't seen any but you could make that argument to justify weaning early but i never would but i like i'm adding to your point poorly yeah for sure <laughs> And so we've done a lot about babies. So mm-hmm. let's maybe start talking about like older horses. So let's, in theory, you have a baby who hits like what most people would consider the youngest reasonable age to be started, which is usually around two years old. So in like disciplines where they start them young, they typically start them around then. And obviously, the most discipline that they do that, the most common discipline they do that in is racing, and then right. also like certain Western disciplines. But let's talk about the racing aspect in comparison to what we're going to go into with like sport horses because yeah. a lot of people will bring that up as like a rebuttal I yeah think. well before we get into that I actually have like one more quote that's kind of like under the two-year-old uh section um but I thought it was a really good point that's in your um study article I don't know what to call it <laughs> blog I guess it's like a yeah it's I forget what the, it was like a the I don't know, a paper that I had to do. Like a research review, something. Yeah, my research paper. Yeah, that's yeah. the word. Um, so you said other studies have indicated that when foals are only moderately handled up until 1.5 years of age, they showed greater problem-solving skills than excessively handled horses, which is hired at all, 1986. Um, but I, I thought that was really fascinating and totally went uh, or proved your point with the, um, the imprinting, that like trying to get all that stuff done before um, – you know, they're a certain age under a year, like you decrease their ability to have problem solving skills because I don't know, I would journey, obviously I don't have anything to support it, but I would venture to say that, um, it creates more of a dependency and kind of like you said, uh, mentioned learned helplessness earlier that Mm -hmm. they kind of are like, okay, well I'm at whatever you want me to do, but I'm not going to offer anything or try new behaviors but obviously I don't have anything to back that I I don't have anything to back that up other than one anecdote um Mm -hmm. but I would agree with that because I think also in order to do imprint training there has to be some level of punishment and you're you're literally flooding them until they go into learned helplessness so then from basically the day they're born the horse just learns how to defer to the person and not really have right their own opinion and I bet they'd be scared to try to problem solve in fear of doing the wrong thing yeah that's what Um, happens a lot with but the horse that I'm thinking of um that like I've had it in training I'm not going to say if it's still in training or when it was Mm -hmm. um but apparently as like a weanling the way they halter broke it was by tying it to like a a quad or like an ATV and just driving and pulling it and they did it with like several yearlings tied at a time so they basically had to go forward or be dragged like those are the only two options and like i don't even want to get started on like the actual physical damage to like the head and the brain and the neck that that could possibly do but like the mental trauma from that i can see why horses would be afraid to just do anything and they just kind of shut down completely from stuff like that Especially if that's your earliest experience. I mean, with humans, like, you can look at attachment theory, like, I mean, by John Bowlby's theory, like, I mean, that stuff that happens when you're under three years old affects you for the rest of your life, regardless of if you remember it or not, which you don't. Oh, yeah, totally. And it's the same with horses. Early trauma is important, and I'd say, like, even when they're not babies, because, like, with Milo, in my opinion, if what happened to him happened to him when he was, like between three and five rather between than between zero and two I think it would have affected him differently he would have come out of it better yeah and wouldn't have been so traumatized by it because it was such a crucial period of learning in his life that he just 
basically had to just learn how to survive in like the worst circumstances yeah. and it affected him more I think than it necessarily would an older horse because yeah. I don't know I've had a couple of older ones that didn't have the same issues but obviously it varies yeah. by the horse but anyways with like the young horses I'm sure how they're handled as babies plays like a role in how they do in training mm-hmm. um but yeah the, the disciplines that start the soonest would be racing and then like reining and like cutting and certain western disciplines yeah. um like maybe we'll talk about the western ones really briefly after but yeah. i don't know enough about them Me and neither. i don't want to piss people off by not knowing <laughs> the exact class names Me and stuff. neither i know that like that does happen like there are a lot of two-year-old classes and stuff like that but i genuinely don't know enough about it but obviously like the biggest difference between racing and the western ones that i see is that Generally, in racing, there is a very strict uh, gradual conditioning program to get the horses fit, and it's been developed and perfected by each trainer, and the riders are typically uh, very light and little, and the saddles are next to nothing, versus Western, the saddles have a tendency to be heavier, not always, and the riders typically are, I mean, vary in sizes. I mean, you can have, I mean, like, I'm 5'8", and i would not like to really be on a two-year-old because <laughs> I'm and I'm there's really a lot big. of men in western disciplines too yeah that aren't small men um starting horses yeah but I would agree with that and then I would say the other difference is I, from like from seeing certain western trainers and how long they typically train horses for I think race horses actually have a rider on their back for significantly less time than western horses would just be just by way of like how long they actually train them for yeah most western people wouldn't only be training for like 10 to 15 minutes like race horses typically are mm-hmm. um yeah. and i would say the same things apply to like the sport horse disciplines that we're going to go into as well yeah. like the length of time being ridden differs greatly the weight of the tack and the weight of the rider are typically more as well so the babies are carrying more weight on their backs for longer periods when mm-hmm. they are started and then they also usually want their careers to last way longer yeah. um, and inc- an increase in difficulty for several years at a time. Whereas a racehorse, even like the top level ones with going in harder and harder races against better horses, they're usually like done running by the time they're like, like, you know, like eight is like, that's on the high end of things. Some mm-hmm. race till they're like 10 or 11, but they're not the most common. Like I'd say five is probably the average. Yeah, most of our horses, most of our horses tend to come home like, and I think it's more like at the smaller tracks that aren't like, like the Kentucky breads, those end up racing for forever. But like Arkansas, Louisiana, well, Louisiana is a little bit better, but like Oklahoma, like generally those horses aren't like, you know, going to go out and kill it every time. Some of them end (laughs) up doing well, but usually they end up retiring around three or four and like rarely any of the ones that have have we gotten off the track been over five like i think there was one that was 10 but he ponied for a few years too so that doesn't count (laughs) and Um, then the other thing is they do that and then they go on to new different jobs that are not necessarily low impact Mm -hmm. um plus like racing has a lot of studies on conditioning the young horses which show jumping and stuff doesn't so there is a little bit of a science to it like in my opinion i wouldn't be against them bumping the age up to three yeah. Um, personally, I think that yeah, would be either. fine. But at the same time, like, I'll be honest, it bothers me less to see that happening than it does for, with the sport horses because it doesn't make sense to me how if we're going to ask a horse to compete, like, into their mid to late teens, um, Why would to so rush early? it. Yeah, I mean, like, if you're, like, I mean, there are horses running Rolex that are, uh, like, near 20, if not 20. 
And those horses probably last that long because they weren't started super early, but I don't have the stats on that. But I, it would stand to reason that if that's the longevity of a career that we're shooting for, and we, like, say you wait until three or four to break it, I mean, you still got, what, 16 to 17 years on that horse? Like, can you not stick oh, yeah. it out one more year? Well, the thing I would say is that people who are the exception to that rule in the I started my horse at two and now he's 30 and he's still sound. Yeah. Clearly then whoever started him perfected the art of starting a young horse at the right pace, not to damage any structures enough to cause them to be unsound. But I think it's more likely to get greedy mm-hmm. the earlier you start speaking from experience, because when I was starting Milo, like I definitely did think did things differently oh, than I w- would same. be doing with Banksy <laughs> and horses that I have been training now. Like I sat on him when he was like two. Yeah. Um, I didn't ride him until three, but like he, we sat on him, and I just think it's unnecessary because it's such an easy thing to teach um, that you don't need to do it that young. Yeah. And like I definitely did more with him than I did with Banksy, and I didn't do enough like prep work before getting on him. Like I wish I had ground driven him more and stuff, but. At the same time, like, he was two years old when I, when we started with him, so it wasn't, like, anything with a yearling. Like, I could, like we said earlier, I could never get on board with, like, lunging and getting them in work like yeah. that. But I still did more than I would do now. And mm-hmm. I would say that it did affect his training negatively because I think if I had been more patient and less greedy from the beginning, that he would have actually come along faster. Yeah. And I say this from my experience now, like, the horses that I've been the most patient with tend to have, like, the least bad associations with things to potentially mess up your rides um and the most positive attitudes towards training yeah and I have to say I have a similar experience with starting my personal horse (laughs) um Zoe the first time I ever rode her she was um a three-year-old at a hunter jumper show and then uh she had an abscess like like she literally came to the hunter jumper show and I rode her and then she had an abscess and then I um didn't get to ride her leading up to an event and then we took her to an event and had the farrier there shoe her and she was sound enough to ride which is something that makes me sick to my stomach and every time I have to talk about it I really debate saying that because I think that's like it just makes me sound like such an awful person and it's an awful thing to do. I think admitting it makes you a really big person though because I bet a lot of people have done similar things but never admit to it and it's because they're embarrassed of it but being able to say that so people can learn is a big thing to do. Yeah, it sucks. Well, thank you. And I mean, I took her to the show and, um, you know, we ran starter level. So arguably, like, how hard was it on her legs? But at the same time, the, it didn't stop. Like, I, I competed her at starter level and uh, ran her, you know, dressage show jump cross country. And then, um, you know, she wasn't conditioned at all. I mean, she was fresh off the track. She had no practice experience jumping. Literally, the only prep work she had was that hunter jumper show. Like, we just threw her to the wolves, and I'm lucky that her demeanor is such that you could have done that. But I think doing that started a lot of anxiety because there wasn't proper training. And I also have a sneaking suspicion that, um, you know, I it's possible she's predisposed genetically and conformationally to it. But starting her that early riding her that hard that often in that particular career led her to now have kissing spine and i'm sure she's had it for years because she's acted the same way for years um but i mean like me i'm like i said i'm five eight and i've been that way since like (laughs) i was in eighth grade i've been tall my whole life and um then riding her i'm like over 100 pounds like 130 i think and then 
um, just on a little three-year-old back that's not going to set for three more years is like, oh, and then I'm jumping her, riding her every single day for 30 to 40 minutes every day. Like it's, that's way too much. And I would never do that now. Um, well, and that's the biggest difference, like I said, between racing and the show jumping is what you just said there. And I mm-hmm. totally agree with you. Like, I like, like I didn't go, I didn't jump Milo at three or anything. And, like, I definitely, that's where my difference of opinion would have been with you, with Zoe, is the three-year-old jump jumping mm-hmm. three-year-olds thing. I haven't enjoyed that, doing, <laughs> like, people doing that for a while. But, like, with at the same time. Like, I'm not going to pick fights with people, and there's always, like, it could always be worse. Like, you could have been jumping her. Like, I've seen people jump their three-year-olds, like, three, six and we'll stuff. And, like, <laughs> like, it's ridiculous. But, but It's on my list. Yeah, like, that's where we would have, I would have begged to differ with, like, the young horse training is starting yeah. them at three. Like, even when people just do cross corrals, in my opinion, starting that young just makes you have, like, a thirst to do more. Well, I kind of wish you had yelled at me. Quicker. I wish you had yelled at me back then because, oh my god, I needed to hear it because I... It's, I was too scared to. I was like, oh, I don't want to, like, be a dick, but... What an ironic thing. <laughs> yeah, now what, you're I, known do, what for I do it. is usually, like, if I see something that I dislike that frustrates me is I'll just, like, make a generalized post yeah. about it and then, like, hope that it gets to people that need to see it and that might be yeah, well, receptive. I did the same thing and then I got a hate video made about me. Several times. So ridiculous. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I hear you, and I, I mean, like, I obviously have a lot of guilt about it, because Zoe has a lot of, a lot of issues. I, she was weaned at six months, and she uh, weaves like a mofo, and she bobs her head, and um, all that's really decreased with pasture boarding, which you can hear all about in my podcast episode that I did with Shelby, which will be coming at an yeah. unknown time, but check my podcast out. It's fine. Um, and then, uh, but I also think that, I really do think that I could have prevented the kissing spine, because also my focus, like you said, was getting greedy on jumping more and more and more and more, and while I did flat work like probably five to six days a week and only jumped once, that's still five to six days a week of riding and, um, or six to seven I guess, I can't do math, Um, but when I was doing the flat work, I had her in a frame, a false frame, and where her hind end's not tracking up, and she's not engaged, and there's no long and low, like, it's just improper riding, because I was trying to fit a mold with her so fast, and also was way more focused on moving up in the levels, and making her my young event horse, which is, like, I wanted her to be my... Yeah, we're gonna get into that. Yeah, well, I wanted her to be my young rider horse, and, uh, I was trying to get there with her as a four-year-old <laughs> and now just looking back on that is so ridiculous because it took us until she was like seven to get to training and well, <laughs> like, I did uh... like a similar thing with Milo and I saw what other people were doing and I wanted to do it and even if the jumps weren't necessarily always big it was more than he was mentally capable of at mm-hmm. like the time yeah um and it set him back for sure like said like taking him right back to dressage work and getting him really relaxed and all of that and packing him lots that really helped change his demeanor towards jumping yeah but like like with what you're saying with zoe i think all of that stuff is so important for people to hear because even if a lot of people change their views they don't necessarily talk about the mistakes they made in the past because mm-hmm. i don't know like yeah, i made some big I ones don't talk about my mistakes <laughs> people just assume i'm like 
think I'm better than them and I'm just saying it to like be yeah. like oh I'm right you're wrong but well, it's usually like shit like I shouldn't have fucking done that I know I regret and, that and there's that and then there's also you get the um well your horse is different mine's more complicated and I'm like no 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 I screwed up a whole lot. And, like, now, I mean, looking back at that, I mean, I, I feel better that you're commending me for talking about it because I hate talking about it. I mean, half the time when I tell people about riding her as a three-year-old, I don't tell them that she was lame because I knew it was wrong, but I cared more about competing and, you know, all of that than I did about her. And now it's just, like, <laughs> where I've come to now is, like, that is night and day different. But And Milo's yeah. the same, I think, because, I mean, I know – the work that you've really put in over the past couple of years on focusing on his flat work has completely changed the way he jumps and his muscle tone and his confidence. Like I remember when you first started jumping him and it was interesting. <laughs> yeah, he stopped at like literally every single yeah. fence at our like first cross rail show it was awful. <laughs> yeah, and now he's like a beast doing like huge oxers. So I mean, it's it's all about what you put in and how much time you take. And I mean, if you rush it, you get what you yeah. pay for. Well, that's the thing. I think that more people need to realize that trying to do something too fast often ends up taking longer or it lessens the time that you have with the horse to do what you like. Yeah. Won't um, get into positive so there's always a trade-off. But that argument is there for that, too. <laughs> yeah. But, um, like, and that's the problem with the young horse classes yeah. is that I'll say for, like, every person that does, like, the really nice slow training and has just a really talented horse that can easily accomplish that, there's people that want to get to a certain point and are greedy and are willing to put their horses in situations that they probably shouldn't to get there um and accomplish those goals and i think that in my opinion i think young horse classes and like stuff that's supposed to be for newer even riders newer horses or riders like to get into showing and make it a positive experience it shouldn't be something that's difficult to accomplish if they're kind of nervous or if it's kind of overfacing them it should be setting the bar lower so that they succeed yeah um, and beyond that I mean like what we were talking about with breakdown this is totally anecdotal but I'm sure there like would be some evidence to support it I just don't have it but um in talking to my boss about when she went to Florida to try horses uh the vet that was doing her pre-purchase was talking about you know warm bloods versus thoroughbreds um you know he's probably x-rayed how many horses and she was like it's like the three-year-old warm bloods versus the three-year-old thoroughbreds are like so much more injured long term Um, And then once they get older, they often have a lot more soft tissue and arthritic tendencies and things like that because they get started so much earlier and so much harder. And I think people see racing as something that's like so vicious and awful because there are whips and they are galloping and it is gambling and for money and it has a bunch of bad associations with it. But it's really very simple and not near as hard on the horse as like say yeah and it's mostly straight lines and wide corners i would say that's one of the biggest differences in what they're doing even though they do it fast it's not small arenas and hard turns Mm -hmm. and quick pace changes yeah Um, that much impact from landing on just two front feet versus like a gallop i mean yeah i mean like it there's not um so much of an airborne there's no height added to it I guess. I don't know how to explain mm-hmm. that. But. Well, yeah, like, they're just taught to, like, even in their canters, you feel it differently. Like, when they're on the track, they don't want them to canter, like, upwards. They want them to go flat and, like, cover yeah. ground, which is partially why Milo's so slow, is that he canters very uphill and doesn't <laughs> cover any ground. Yeah. But, like, they're they're not... Yeah, they're not getting any air, and it's not encouraged to jump shadows or anything at the track, so mm-hmm. they're just 
running and then most of their time they're not even running at those quick paces which is what people need to understand but like I don't know even even putting like a three-year-old in like a collected frame and like doing anything but long and low work type stuff with them like getting them really collected and like curled in the neck it is really hard on like developing spines and whatnot so like that repeated over and over (laughs) even without factoring in jumps yeah is a lot yeah I agree and I feel attacked (laughs) because that's exactly what I did I mean we were working on collection and lateral stuff and like it's so hard on their bodies it's hard mentally for a three-year-old and they're still babies yeah the mental trauma could even be more so is that like like for everyone that has a really genuine nice young horse that will just do things even though they probably shouldn't there's people who have ones that get like really mentally destroyed because of how much they're like mine that is absolutely neurotic about like i mean we took her to an alexander curlin clinic and like i wasn't gonna ride her the like there was no riding involved it was a very quiet serene environment but because she was somewhere new she was totally psyched out and the racehorse mac who we took that was in the stall next to her couldn't care less he was so chill (laughs) because zoe had has so much mental trauma around showing and so much anxiety in those situations that just she generalized to moving anywhere is stressful and i mean it's i think it does a lot more than we think it does but because the horses still do the job it gets justified as you know something that's that they're they want to do it otherwise they would say no (laughs) but well even if you look at like some of the videos and i would say like before we go into the young horse event stuff that you have Mm -hmm. like the setups that like young horse show jumpers and like older show jumpers as well the bit setups that they start to excuse at certain levels like there's not really any rules in the show jumping ring like there's no limit really you can have some pretty crazy shit on your horses as they develop and people will just be like oh that's the way they are like they just need this but in reality it's a horse that's like running through the aids because Mm -hmm. they've never been taught how to like relax and start to do things properly like obviously they're like i'm not against all larger bits but there should be a limit at what is acceptable and what's just bad practice i mean honestly if you're running a horse under 10 in like a twisted wire or a gag i'm like uh <laughs> like yeah it's just it's it's a way to avoid the training because you could easily take that horse back down the levels and start working on actually properly teaching the horse how to respond to the cues instead of yeah, and like just, make sure they're happy like yeah. why hurt them into doing it because it's hard to for a horse to enjoy a job if like the equipment you're using is inherently harsh and there like are things that are just harsh no matter how soft the rider's well, hands are and that goes to like when people say you know oh well they wouldn't do it if they didn't feel confident or if they didn't want to well what about the bits and the spurs and the whips and everything that you're using and again i'm not saying all of those things are inherently bad i don't think they are at all but i think that they often get used so that the horse knows I have to do this or else and it's easier to just do the thing that they're afraid of rather than face the rider getting a lot scarier than the thing that they're afraid of. Yeah, I agree with that. Like, if more people just didn't escalate things, it would be better. Like, even when horses spook, like, a lot of young horses will just have a little spook or even if they, like, stop at a fence and then they just get, like, in a lot of trouble. It's like you're not instilling confidence in them which should be your goal in all of their youth years is to like make them confident and happy in work exactly um and then it just and it honestly probably makes them less sound like i guarantee the horses that are going around tense and stressed all the time and i'm not saying that like if anyone has a tense horse sometimes or when you're teaching new things that you're like a bad person but like if they cannot relax under saddle and you have to keep like 
spinning up or using different types of equipment to kind of force them to go a certain way because they can't relax, it's going to be harder on their bodies. Yeah. It's the same thing as if a human carries around stress. It starts to affect how you feel and, like, your yeah. shoulders get tight and then you move differently and, like, Well, and I mean, I that goes the same for Zoe. I mean, like, if you've, I mean, I'm sure you've seen the older videos, but anybody listening, like, I mean, she just was, like, slinging her tail, like, snapping it in the air i mean she looked like she was trying to lift all four feet off the ground at the same time just <laughs> like a helicopter hopping. yes it, and i mean she just was like bouncing in place her canters like in the dress house she just switched leads behind the whole time and um like it just she just looked pissed and would winnie and um she i halted once um at one of the actual more recent shows i think one of my last shows when i halted she like rear uh like half reared and oh. whinnied and i was like cool <laughs> like yep that's my horse yeah oh that's just her she's marish yeah yeah and it was never like why is my horse this fucking anxious because n- i'm looking around and it uh, honestly it just was really upsetting because everybody could just go out and ride their horses and they were fine and all they had to worry about was remembering their pattern and i'm like trying to just keep a bottle rocket from exploding the whole time <laughs> and I was like, why is this so bad? And I really think it was just we moved her up way too fast. And obviously not every horse that gets moved up so fast is going to be like that. But, I mean, we've had to inject her hawks, and she has kissing spine. I have to do the rehab for that. And she's nine years old. And she also can't be ridden at a show because, like, I mean, we'd have to drug her. She's so stressed out about it. And, like, I mean, yeah, I could go out and I could do it. And I could make her, you know, go around, but it wouldn't be pretty. And, like or fun for either one of us. And I literally almost quit riding because of it. Um, right before she colicked and everything changed to positive reinforcement. Um, I was about to stop riding and sell her because I Aww. hated it so much. Cause it, I mean, it was just awful. Neither of us were enjoying it. And I was like starting to doubt my riding and her. And it's, I mean, it really has way more lasting. That's not the most eloquent sentence I've ever said, but the, like it lasts a lot longer than you think when you're trying to make those big moves especially if you have a horse like Zoe who tends to be a little bit more on the sensitive side um emotionally that um you know she just can't handle those sorts of things I'm sure other horses would be fine where she's not I think the thing is that there's like enough resilient horses that with the emotionally emotionally insensitive ones people I mean the emotionally sensitive ones people just blame the horse and they'll be like oh this is just a bad Mm -hmm. horse they're just crazy I did forever they're just that they're dangerous blah blah and it's always the horse's fault and then those are the horses where they do not end up with the right person who like even just either like even if they don't do everything right by them just keeps up with them so they don't end up with someone worse they're the ones that end up like at auctions and stuff for like hurting people or just Mm -hmm. getting given away for free and stuff and i think zoe is lucky because by the sounds of it she went to someone that would have like because she was talented have similar demands Mm -hmm. or worse she would have just continued to probably get injected get drugged and sedated at shows and like kind of move up the levels or they get discarded if they can't keep them Mm-hmm. in control and Milo's definitely one of those horses because with stalling he's like aggressive if you stall him for mm-hmm. like like a while like if you get yeah. stalled for too long he's a, he's not nice and he would hurt people yeah. um but like so if he ended up in like a traditional situation his his behavior even drastically changes in like an in and out paddock where he mm-hmm. doesn't do anything bad in the stall but he's just aggressive yeah. um when you're handling him and a lot of people would just hit him and get mad at him and his aggression increases if you do shit like that like he yeah. will fucking come for you if you do that like yeah he and... does not forget and 
horses like that are usually highly intelligent and they are generally pretty talented but then they kind of get screwed over by just the greed of people and I think that like a training method is flawed if it fails a large number of horses just because they're not resilient enough to essentially put up with like abuse yeah and I mean that's the thing like when like I, I might have said something about it on the episode that we did on for my podcast, but um, when the vet comes out with Zoe, I mean, she recognizes that cowboy hat, and it's the same thing, but slightly opposite. Like you said, Milo, if you get aggressive towards him, he just gets worse. If you get aggressive towards Zoe, she gets worse, but she just gets more anxious. She doesn't shut Aww. down. She just escalates until it's so bad that you can't, like, you literally cannot get through to her because she ha- you've just lost her mentally. And, um, I, a lot of like, I mean, I can't tell you how many times my farrier has been like, you need to get control of your horse. Like, oh, this mare, I hate dealing with her. And I'm like, if you would be nice, then she would be fine. (laughs) Um, but obviously it's hard to work through training with that. Yeah. Yeah. Way too many people just blame in the horse instead of considering like, like how would I feel in this situation if I did not understand what was going on and like I don't know like even with people there's so many times where people like misconstrue tones and like start big problems or are unkind to their own friends and family just for like just because you're human and you do dumb shit and we can't expect like less intelligent animals to be more perfect than we are yeah I completely agree and also it's it just provides more fuel to the justifications for doing um you know unnecessarily cruel things like tying the horses to a post and stuff you're like oh well it's been bad i'll just tie it to the post and teach it a lesson when uh it's nice to think that the horse might sit there and think about what it's done and then you know eventually come to the conclusion that probably shouldn't do that again but um that's not how they work (laughs) and i think people oh sorry i cut you off no i mean that's the end of the thought Okay. I think people just like feeling powerful and getting mad at mm-hmm. horses. Like, it does make you feel better if you think you've fucking done something. Even 100%. if it's stupid, you're just like, oh, yeah, yeah like, I showed them. Like, it's nice to have an outlet for your anger and frustration. But beyond that, like, I mean, for me, I won't lie. When I, um, you know, when I was competing Zoe up until the end when it started becoming more trouble than it was worth, um, there for a while, I kind of got off on being able to ride like a really hot, difficult horse because everyone would always be like, oh my God, I can't believe you, like, you know, you rode those bucks or you dealt with that. You handled it so well. She's so difficult. I can't imagine riding. Like all of those things, like that just boosted my ego and that's nobody else's fault, but I mean mine and some socialization, but like, I just, I really wanted that praise. And also like, I felt cooler because I wasn't on a push button horse and I had a self-made horse, lol, <laughs> so made so well. Um, but I mean, like, it. I think that plays into it too with what you're saying about like wanting to feel powerful or like you've done something that it's just it looks good. But then you know, I mean, uh, to me now when I see horses acting like Zoe did, I'm like, what's wrong with it? <laughs> what have you done? Not yeah, like, I oh just, my god, I'm you're like, so I cool. I wish they could relax. Yeah. And you know, like Milo's a more anxious horse, and he still does get anxious. But he would do the same shit where he would just like be like a bomb going off for like Mm -hmm. no reason there would be like no loud noise to spook out like he would just be so pent up that he would just randomly like explode oh my god Um, and it's and it's the same thing yeah you get like praised for oh yeah like good job riding a cool horse and then if you have a horse like that and you start doing more with them people would be like congratulations like oh my god you're you're like they've improved so much look at you go and then yeah i I don't know i think the young horse classes all play into that because people are trying (laughs) to showcase talented young animals 
and yeah. they want kind of they want to go to those shows and they want to do well and they want like the benefits and rewards of doing that and they get yeah. greedy and they don't consider the horses and I think that's one of the biggest problems with showing is that I don't think it's unethical but it encourages people to be unethical when it rewards unethicality yeah um, I which it is agree. right now. and oh, then but. and then if you don't have a horse that's hot or difficult to ride then um you get met with the oh well you don't know what it's like to ride a hot horse even if you have literally taken the horse from hot to better then mm-hmm. I, I mean i can tell you how many times when i switched to positive reinforcement people were like well my horse is too sensitive or too grouchy or too anxious for that and i'm like do you think well how are you how are we getting there logically but um, it especially pisses me off because like milo only goes in a snaffle right like i've literally not had like anything other than like the worst cheek piece i've had on him was a bevel bit but it had a leather mouthpiece and that's why i like it but i have to get a new leather mouthpiece yeah. but anyways he's not had any of that stuff on him so people are like oh like my horse is just stronger and i'm like with all due respect like i could have made him very strong yeah. and like i also gallop race horses and they go in most of them will go in snaffles so i'm kind of like your horse is not stronger than any of those horses are you're just making excuses and that's that's what you're that's like what you're saying is that people will make excuses to be like oh well my horse is this my horse is that and they'll even use it to deny like actual science yeah which is the most problematic part is that people think that their horse is the exception to like literally like a biological rule of horses right Um, and that's that's the whole argument against when people are like oh my horse doesn't like positive reinforcement you're like by definition it has to i mean cool if you don't want to use the training method but by definition your horse has to like it otherwise it's not positive reinforcement yeah exactly like <laughs> i don't get that well and if they're not food motivated or like scratches it can definitely be more difficult and i understand that but like yeah. people can't deny that from studies it's been found to be a good method so you can't write off the validity of it because mm-hmm. of that and like with punishment like they don't get enough information from punishment for it to be a good consistent method because they're not learning what yep. to do correctly mm-hmm. um but anyways you have the young horse eventing <laughs> statistics and, uh, like or the rules yeah. and stuff and i think those are really interesting yes. because the show jumping ones aren't that much different in terms of height and demands so i think that'd be a good topic to discuss at the ages that the horses are being asked because yeah. especially for eventing in order to safely do cross country at a certain level they presumably have to have been started for a little while um, yeah. So yeah. Anyways, go on. <laughs> yeah. So I know you keep trying to pull back to this, and I'm like, wait, but I have thoughts on other things. <laughs> um, too many thoughts. We both have too many thoughts. <laughs> yes. Um, and that's why we're already at an hour. <laughs> we haven't even gotten yeah. through half the stuff. Um, but yeah. So I think it makes sense. Like, because chronologically, the young event horse program came first, and then the future event horse came after it. But the future event horse has younger horses. Um, but. Okay, so it's confusing. I don't know why they made the names, like, that similar, because it loses me every time. Yeah, it's kind of stupid. <laughs> but fine. Um, so on the Young Event Horse Program, which is the one that came first, but is for a little bit older horses, um, has, like, the, it's kind of like this little tagline that seems, um, it's, like, bolded and a little bit braggy and links. And it, it's, a jingle. <laughs> yeah, and it's, like... The USEA is now recognizing the nation's top six-year-olds on a preliminary leaderboard and top seven-year-olds on an intermediate leaderboard, which if, if you know anything about eventing, you know how difficult not only prelim is, but intermediate is absolutely absurd. I, I will say it. I absolutely never had a desire to go above training level because that shit is big and scary. And the jump from training to prelim is like, 
I mean, the speed increases drastically. The heights and technicality increase drastically. It's, I mean, it's like going from beginner novice to training. It's a huge jump. And to be running a six-year-old, an animal that spine has just set into adulthood, like, are you kidding? And a seven-year-old running intermediate, I don't know how you move up from prelim to intermediate in a year on a horse that's never done it before. Like, you're asking for a breakdown. But, um, but yeah, and to keep them that well conditioned basically year round, like that's so high above the demands yeah. of racing, even that it's really ridiculous. Yeah, because I mean, the impact and the amount that you're riding, and most competition horses get ridden for 30 to 40 minutes a day versus what you said with the race horses. And um, I mean, obviously, it depends on the trainer, but um, it's, I mean, that's a lot of impact. And most show seasons, especially the ones. Where in order to get a horse from prelim to intermediate in a year, like, I mean, you have to be going to every single show, like every other weekend on the East Coast. It's particularly like that. They have a show almost every weekend and it's it's year round. I mean, you can do spring and summer and fall show seasons. I mean, like there and then uh, Wellington and that area has the in Florida has the winter uh, equestrian festival and it's like i mean you can do it year round and that's the only way you can get a horse to move up that fast which is way too hard on their bodies there's no way you can properly condition and their them. Minds. yeah yeah yes, like hauling them off property that much having them stay in stalls and like free eventing like presumably at those levels your horse would be, need to be so fit that you'd probably have to be riding them for like at least like a fairly long time a couple times a week mm-hmm. to condition them for cross country and stuff and like yeah. galloping them and like... i mean intermediate level is one step i mean they they added another level in there but i don't recognize it because that's before my time or after my time <laughs> um but intermediate as they're describing it in the young event horse program is one step below olympic level like Shit. that's absurd that's seven yeah that's where i guess show jumping has the upper hand a little bit because it's like pretty unusual to see horses that young yeah competing and like but even still like the young horse classes here for four-year-olds will be jumping like i don't know i think it's like a meter um for the four-year-olds and like like most of the warm bloods here i've noticed at least are born later like well well later in the year than the thoroughbreds are they're Mm -hmm. usually born like like basie's born like end of may for example and then these shows would be starting up now so to go in it he'd have to be jumping that height basically when he's turning four yeah Um, and these these competitions are pretty much the same sorry to cut you off i mean they they say that's a good topic yeah yeah they recognize them as a year old january one just like jockey club does but jockey club pretty much i mean correct me if i'm wrong I don't, is Jockey Club the same in Canada? Do you have that also? For January 1st? Yeah, but I mean, is Jockey yeah. Club a, is also a Canadian Oh, thing? yeah, it's okay. the same. We get, like, we send our papers to the U.S. if we want them to, like, edit oh, stuff. Okay. Yeah, well, so, I mean, like, it's the same for them, but typically, I'm pretty sure, because you would have an advantage, you breed around to where they fall out in January to March, usually. Yeah, but, like, April is later, and then May is really late. Like, Pope yeah. was born in May, which is super late. But. Yeah, and then when you have, you know, horses that are being bred for competition, you don't really care about that so much. And so, I mean, if they're foaled later in the year, then, I mean, those horses are basically three and a half doing four-year-old classes. And that's absurd because they get recognized as, you know, uh, a year because of January 1 rule. 
Um, it's ridiculous because also those horses are going to be like in their mid-teens and they're still going to be wanting to compete them to some extent probably like mm-hmm. i'd like wouldn't that be your goal to have them at least sound through their mid-teens yeah i don't know that's a very it's low bar to, too. to make demands so high that it might rob the horse of like a happy retirement eventually where mm-hmm. they're not like in pain and, and also rob them of an actual competition career yeah. and obviously stuff happens and not all horses that end up having to retire early we're like of course overfaced and blah blah, blah but yeah and i mean I know, by peeve about them. i know and by i mean by most people's standards zoe was not overfaced i mean she was very successful running training our dressage sucked but i mean we were jumping clean rounds and um she never stopped on cross country at anything i mean in all intents and purposes we were successful she just didn't relax in uh dressage so i mean if it she'd been with anybody else I mean, and even if she'd been with me, I probably would have kept competing her, you know, because nothing was inherently wrong. Um, and she probably would have broken down because, I mean, uh, how could she not? She's kissing spine and bad hawks. <laughs> and, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's so sad. I know. And I'm like, oh, I just can't imagine some of the other horses that are just tolerating that. And obviously it's not all of them. I'm not trying to make a blanket statement, but it's, it's just really frustrating that um, the horses get um, – put you know second fiddle to the the competition and the ribbons and winning and the ego boost but then any attempt at saying like maybe that's what's happening getting a phone call um any attempt to say that that's possibly what's happening is you know overrun with a bunch of justifications like we were talking about earlier with the um like oh well my horse is different blah 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 things like that that just generally aren't (laughs) like there's a general rule for a reason most horses aren't exceptions exactly well, yeah, like, it should just, as a general rule, like, classes that are for introductory, like, young horses should be, like, you should be trying to set them up for success, like, for their whole future, right? Like, you shouldn't yeah. be encouraging something that might make them break down earlier. And even, like, injections and stuff, they're so normalized to the point where, like, I know people who just do them without even knowing why they're even injecting a joint. The horse will just be kind of, like, not quite right, and then they'll just be like, oh, let's get, like, injections, let's get his hawks injected, he's, yeah. like, doing this or that, and they don't even look to see if the hawks are the problem, right? They'll just yeah. inject them, um, and then keep competing them, and yeah. then the horse eventually breaks down for some other reason, because it's never been, like, examined, lameness-wise. Yeah, um, and that's where I feel then, with, like, yeah. sorry to cut you off, go. <laughs> no, go, no, I forgot what I was gonna say, that's okay. <laughs> Okay, that happened to me earlier. Um, yeah. But, I mean, that's where I feel like I felt a little bit more justified with Zoe. I mean, my, my vet was certain it was her hawks, and when he went to inject, he was like, I can barely fit anything in here. And um, apparently, according to the research that I did, um, kissing spine and hawks tend to go hand in hand. Oh, yeah. And way more they horses. Move, yeah, they move tight Yeah, in the back. and way more horses than we think have kissing spine. Like, I mean, it's an absurd percentage, but some just don't exhibit symptoms and if they do it comes out in like maybe they're a little sore under the saddle or maybe they buck while you're riding or maybe they're just tight and everyone just labels that a personality trait and then you end up like damaging a horse forever no i think way more have it because there's also horses yeah they basically don't do anything like i was talking to a vet too and they said the same thing where basically like tons of horses have it but you don't always find it because a lot of people just don't x-ray the back ever Mm -hmm. um so they don't know yeah and and it's unfortunate and I feel a little bit more justified in inject injecting Zoe's hogs. It's definitely not my favorite thing in the world to have had to do, but I'm not competing her. It was strictly for a comfort thing. And yeah, also that's my- the difference I think is you're not doing it to get her sound for competition. So it's a yeah. bit, 
Well, and that's less motivated. And I mean, I could go into all sorts of things. Like I have so many opinions on nerving. I'm like, if you have to do it for pasture oh, sound God, only, no. not they jumping. They should not be competing if they're nerved. That's so stupid right. and selfish. I agree. But speaking of competing, it should be illegal. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> I completely agree, but I'm also trying to <laughs> stay on sort of topic because we're so good at that. But I have so many thoughts. Um, okay, so for the Young Event Horse Program, it's typically um, designed for four to five years um, of age. And there are really big names, like people that I have trained with, fill in the blanks. Um, like there, and I mean, you can look it up if you know if you're interested, but I don't know. There's like, lots, yeah. Yeah, there are some like really big, famous trainers, but just because those trainers are at those levels running such young horses doesn't mean that it's okay. And I see that justification being made a lot. They're like, Oh, well X person does it. And they have a lot of successful horses. But I think the really important thing to keep in mind when you see professionals doing it is they are professionals because they train horses and they put their stamp of approval on that horse because they trained it because they're trying to sell it. They have to move it up quicker because I mean the difference between a 20 grand and a 30 grand horse in eventing because our horses are cheap comparatively to show jumping. Um, but the difference between a 20 grand horse and a 30 grand horse is one that's running training and one that's running intermediate. I mean, like, so obviously to get an extra 10 K move the horse up in a year and then, you know, you get an extra 10 K. And, um, so, I mean, and I'm not saying that all professionals are like just money hungry, but it is how they make their money. And oh, yeah. to there's more, especially because the clients also will push for it too. So it's mm-hmm. it's two sided too. Like trainers yeah. can get pressured into doing it. 100%. And I don't know. Also, trainers just aren't like professional equine scientists. Like they don't have yeah. necessarily any real knowledge on equine behavior to see if the horse is like suffering or if they're in pain. Mm-hmm. And they're not a veterinarian, so they can't diagnose no. unsoundness easily. And oftentimes, when you're running a level that high, it's I, I don't want to like invalidate anyone that's running that level, but typically they're just really, really talented riders that just kind of have a feel for it. A lot of them work for it, but a lot of times it just kind of comes or they've been under somebody's wing the whole time. And it doesn't really like make a whole lot of sense to look outside of what you're doing because it's working. And if you've never mm-hmm. had a run in, because I mean, you move the horses up until they're, you know, you sell them at 10 years old when they're running, you know, I don't know, upper levels, or you sell them at seven years old when they're running intermediate, then you don't see the breakdown happen. And it doesn't really matter because it's not on your dollar anymore. And yeah, and the horse is gone. Yeah. You don't worry about it anymore. Yeah. And and then they keep, tra- they keep getting horses in and out because that's what like you do when you're yeah. training. So, and even if you were to argue that racing know. is harder on them, like, like we've been saying this whole time, I mean, racing is like, I don't know, typically what I see is it's like they're in racing for two to five years. I mean, you said some run till they're 10, but in my area, at least I hardly ever see that. So, I mean, it's, yeah, it's very uncommon for sure. So, I mean, two to five years on average compared to, you know, a 10, 15, 20 year long career is a little bit difficult because I mean, event horses typically, typically when you retire a racehorse, it's because it's just not doing well. Um, or it's starting to get sore or it just isn't showing any more interest in racing or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. But event- yeah, they call it a lot quicker than what like a yeah. rider will do on their competition horse. Yeah. And event horses, you pretty much just run until they're too arthritic to continue. I mean, the amount of people that I know personally that just inject and inject and inject and inject and they're like, well, my horse loves to jump and he would be miserable if he wasn't jumping. I'm like, oh, I, I hate want to so strangle much. you so bad. Like at- the horse would not give two shits. No. It's the reality. No. And he would be much happier chilling in his pasture 
not allowing you to destroy his body and beat him around, you know, courses. It it's frustrating and it's they use the horse to justify their actions a lot is what i've noticed and like mm-hmm. the thing is like i think everyone's guilty of it to some extent and they can go either way like people can use the horse to try to claim that the horse like that certain other disciplines are completely abusive and then make stuff up and it can go on either side or you can use the horse mm-hmm. to justify competing them when they're lame blah blah, blah. like there it can go like I've, I've even seen like like vegan extremist vegan arguments against horseback riding they'll use the horse to try to justify something but it won't make sense from like a behavioral perspective yeah well and And i think people need to learn how to differentiate between the good and the bad arguments i think that's what like i know a lot of people like especially in the racing that's why i kind of made like a flippant comment after i said it because i'm so used to people saying it like oh well they just weren't showing interest in racing anymore well the horse is probably not running well anymore for a reason like if it was doing super well and now it's not there's probably some sort of discomfort happening usually i mean if they're doing well i i I don't know i don't really see them losing interest per se they have a pretty strong motivator you know Mm -hmm. i mean and that's what they're trained to do that's all they know so it it's it's to justify that because it's easier to digest that the horse doesn't want to do it anymore than maybe we're looking at a potential like soft tissue injury coming on or yeah and it, then you don't have to admit it to buyers either like i've yes. seen it a lot with other things you're like oh like he just wants to go down the levels now and usually it's because there's yeah. something a little bit wrong with yeah that, oh like... he just doesn't like cross country <laughs> like <laughs> okay no uh, no he or he's just too stressed to do it is the thing yeah. i don't know like a lot of people we don't we just really put our our views and our outlooks onto the horses way too yeah. much and like every rider has been guilty of it and i'm sure to some extent everyone will still continue to be guilty at some points in their life because yeah. we're still learning stuff about them every day mm-hmm. but we'll try to justify behaviors or feelings like even if they're positive ones just based off of our own human way of looking at things right. and people do that way too much for competition right and what i think is the most like frustrating thing about that is because like if you look at the dog world there is so much evidence to back up and like just investigate training methodology period but in the horse world we are so founded in tradition that it's just kind of like there's really no money in research for horses i mean there's like hardly there's like no studies i think Pretty much Andrew McLean and Paul McGreevy are, like, the only two that yeah, actually do like anything. Yeah, they're, like, the MVPs and Hillary Clayton, too. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, and I agree because the people who have the money to pay for it probably have motivation to not have the research done because it would yeah. probably negatively impact them. Yeah. And, like, that that's why I think people also need to have more respect for racing because the Jockey Club does do a lot of research and a lot of the vet medicine stuff that we have access to only exists because of the money they put into research. Yeah. Um, well, and I think and also, they really advanced a lot of procedures. So like, I don't, I wish we just had did more research like that in every field because it would make, it would hopefully make it easier to change people's minds about certain things and right. transition well, it think, to being better for the horses. I think probably the reason that that doesn't happen is because like people don't bet on eventing or show jumping. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess some people might have a bookie, but like generally speaking, racing makes a hell of a lot more money. And I'm glad that they're putting that towards research and, you know, making the industry better. Yeah. But there's also a motivator because a, they're getting looked down on because everything that's in the media is just the breakdowns so that's availability heuristic psychology 101 that's what people see that's what they think is happening most often they think it's the rule rather than the exception and the truth is most racehorses are not breaking down um 
they are the exceptions, the ones that end up in bad situations or bad confirmation or aren't being treated right, et cetera, et cetera, generally. But um, I don't know. It's just I I wish that um, the sport horse industries, because those are the ones that need it, because the race, oh, yeah. the race horses, I mean, they run for, what did I say, like two to five years typically. And then yeah. the event horses are the ones that have the have to deal with the longevity and pain and being labeled jerks and assholes and marish and oh he's oh, yeah, just like grumpy if they're stalled they're stalled forever in that situation you know mm-hmm. like if a racehorse is stalled at the racetrack they have like a half decent chance of like not doing that in the off season mm-hmm. or in their new home yeah but show horses are in it for life which i think sucks and yeah. and they're, it's easier to hide things like because since all the barns are private like at the racetrack if someone like really lays into the horse like everyone's gonna see it you know mm-hmm. like you can't hide it from people it's like a pretty public place and um at like private training barns you can really kind of get indoctrinated into a certain place's views because you're only ever seeing people at the same barn as you all condoning the same things yeah and whereas at like usually in shed rose at racetracks you have like eight different trainers and their horses and their jockeys all in the same place and if somebody's beating their horse you're like what the hell's wrong with you oh yeah like they all definitely have opinions Mm -hmm. like very loud opinions like i would say they're most of the race trackers would be more upfront than like show horse people typically are you know like we kind of sweep things under the rug and that's kind of like the way people do things i think if you see someone with a big name doing something shady you're like oh like it's not my business and like i think it's just that kind of like highbrow attitude that like oh, it's not happening to me. And also it would be impolite to say anything. Whereas at the racetrack, I feel like they're a lot more, yeah, don't give a fuck. Yeah. <laughs> and, I like, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, and you kind of sometimes do have to fear like some form of itali- retaliation depending on like who mm-hmm. it is that you're dealing with. And I can see why a lot of people are afraid to speak out because even like in mine and your experience, saying what we have, like it's pretty generic. We're not personally attacking anyone for like any specific instance of abuse or neglect or whatever. We're merely like sharing information that's actually like fairly well researched and is like Yeah. Alright, like the turnout stuff is like the most solid evidence in the horse world like even just from common sense like it's very well researched and like mm-hmm. virtually undeniable for every- <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. like I, d- I don't know like people just want to see what they want to see and i hope that all this stuff becomes more mainstream and accessible yeah, to everyone so that they can develop because i do think that most riders in a weird way care about their horses even if they're not doing right by them but yeah i mean i i, I would know. like to believe that at least um that for the most part, people, all they want to do is, you know, I mean, most people that have a personal horse got into it at least because they wanted to enjoy the horse and love the horse. And sometimes along the way, like I was saying with Zoe, it became all about the competition. I didn't give a shit about why she was unhappy. Very clearly, obviously unhappy. Well, you, you would make up reasons exactly. to try to justify it to yourself. Yeah. It's like what, that's what everyone does. It's way easier to be like, oh, she's just like that than be like, oh my God, I wonder if I'm doing something <laughs> that she doesn't like or she's in pain because of all the shit I pushed her to do when she was too young. And speaking of which, um, <laughs> um, the young event horse program <laughs> that we were talking about 30 oh, years yeah. ago. Um, yeah, I mean, just pretty much like the rest of the rules on that for the young event horse, it's predominantly four and five year olds designed for to find future four star horses is why they did it which doesn't make any sense why would you 
<laughs> start competing four and five year olds at such a high level to find the ones that are going to go four star when you're breaking them down by doing those competitions well and if they're going to do that they need to track everything and show how many of them actually go on yes oh my god that that brings me to the one point their um their mission statement for the um, future event horse program which is the three to four year olds it's a precursor to the young event horse um and sometimes are they only ride the four-year-olds in this uh class but um, the, their mission statement is the USEH future event horse mission is to educate number one, American event horse breeders on the type confirmation, build movement and athletic abilities needed for a young horse to be developed into a successful upper level event horse. And for the judges to determine whether or not a young horse is the right type to be developed into a successful upper level event horse. Yet nowhere on the site is this information. They have a whole tab that says research studies and three of them are uh, about frangible fence technology, GPS study about how fast they go on cross country and something about like pulmonary and cardiovascular things. And none of them have links to any academic studies. It's just kind of like a summary with no link. And they're, they're saying that these programs are to, um, you know, help breeders and help, you know, trainers identify if their horses are going to be good enough in the future, which a, I hope they have a crystal ball and B like, under in what world like you're not you're not fooling anybody it makes no sense because also you can't overface a horse to see how they're gonna do when they're like at full showing capacity which is also illogical yeah completely illogical the three-year-old max height for free jumping uh the first fence is uh two foot seven which i would love to convert to meters for you but unfortunately i can't do that in my brain um, no I, I, that's fine i know how i measure my fences and feet okay sure. <laughs> um i think meters makes more sense for the record but um <laughs> uh but the second is two nine the last is three 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 in front and three seven in the back and it's four feet across wow yeah, so, I mean... Well, and the thing is, they have to be... Pra- like, you would be practicing it, because you're getting judged on it, right? Yeah. Like, it's not just, like, breeders that do it for, like, a sales video type thing. Mm-hmm. You're practicing it for a purpose to, like, show them to get judged on. So you're yeah. more likely to do it often and get them good going through the yeah. shoot. Well, and to be um, fair, that's really only at the championships, and they only ride the four-year-olds, and the three-year-olds just get free jumps, so that's better. Okay, the three- that's at least okay. Yeah, but they don't they don't disallow three-year-olds from actually competing, which is because, I mean, I did it on oh, wait, Zoe. What? Um, like it's just the future. Are you like making ice right now? <laughs> oh yeah. I'm cutting up. <laughs> um, but so the, like I could compete Zoe at three-year-old, but, uh, like, you know, for doing a starter or beginner novice level event, there's really no, that I'm aware of, I don't know, unless they've done it in recent years, an age, uh, minimum for a certain level i think i think at the upper levels they have to be a certain age but apparently it's not very high i mean if you can run a six-year-old prelim but um so i mean they don't jump them or they just free jump the three-year-olds but they only ride the four-year-olds but at the same time like this this whole the point of the future event horse program is to identify the horses that are going to run upper levels and all they do is like walk and trot them around in a triangle and judge them on confirmation and then say it's to provide information to breeders. So we like can better the breed, but like a, which breed B, um, like where's the research and C it's because eventing is a rather, yeah. yeah, And it's like the weirdest (laughs) phrase ever. 
And it's so frustrating because I know eventing is a very, it's one of the poorer sports. I mean, our horses don't sell for much that we, I mean, I don't, I think only at the upper levels do you win money and it's not a big prize pot. Like, I mean, I've never won any money competing and I've been competing for over a decade and like it's a very poor sport. It costs a lot of money to do, but those events, I mean, jumpers, you can, you know, you can have one arena with 10, 12 jumps and you're good to go. But at an event, you have to have a ton of land, ton of barns. And like, I mean, it just requires more. So it tends to be a poor sport. And I would, it would stand to reason that the future event horse and young event horse programs are just ways to get more um, funding. And cause I mean, you don't, yeah. they don't cost a lot of money to put on. You have to put three flower pots in a triangle and then you call it a beauty pageant. <laughs> and it's like, and I mean, cause it says that, um, you know, they have all this criteria for how the horses should look and how they should be groomed and, um, you know, how their condition has to be. And they say you can have shoes or glue ons, but, um, you the the thing that cracks me up the most is like the equipment they said two and three year olds must be presented in a bridle a clean well-fitting snaffle bridle with a head stall and throat latch with reins attached is mandatory reins must be attached to the bit no bit list we don't do that around these parts (laughs) and on a two-year-old horse mind you um and nose bands are optional a snaffle type bit is required so you can't have a double twisted wire unless it's a snaffle, I guess. Um, but no spans are optional. Why, God, why would they be optional? You have to have a bit, but you don't have to have a noseband. Yeah, well, if you don't have to, like, I don't know. That doesn't make any sense to me at all. And well, and having to require shoes, too, like on a two-year-old. Like, what if they have really nice feet? Yeah, and also, like, what if you, like, I mean, the thing is, your the whole goal of these is to presumably prep and gain information so you're prepping these horses to run at the upper levels whatever it's mandatory that you have a noseband and dressage there's no option you have to have yeah, one i know and like i argued against it i like emailed Yousef once because i i didn't want to ride in one because i don't you know regularly and they were like sorry it's in the rules you have to have one and i was like could we maybe like go about changing that and they were like sorry <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> but for some reason at the younger levels when these horses are being developed into the upper level ones you don't have to have one. So it's, it's uh, really like they have weird traditions that make no sense that just need to change, but nobody questions. And it, I think that's, it's an, a broader problem that extends into many areas, but also the score breakdown for the young event horse program where they're the older go. ones is the dressage is worth 30% of your score while the jumping test slash gallop slash general impression is worth 70%. And I get it because like there is obviously more in that second half, but we could like break it down to where jumping is worth 20% and gallop is worth 10%, you know, I mean like... But, Something. like, what it, isn't dressage, like, very important at the upper levels in eventing? Uh, like, your dressage score? You would think. Your dressage score is the <laughs> entire basis for your score. I mean, like, if you get a, say, 30 in dressage and you don't get any penalties, you end on your 30. Like, you don't get any penalties jumping, I mean. Like, your everything depends on your dressage score, yet it's, like, everybody, everybody does eventing because they want to go cross-country. 
obviously well, otherwise then it's basically telling people that like dressage matters the least especially for a young horse like that's their entire foundation yeah it, that, that makes no sense and you're jumping and galloping which is essentially the same thing i mean it's in the same genre and then general impression is how pretty they are so <laughs> it's worth 70 percent is how they jump and how they gallop and how pretty they are is worth 70 percent versus dressage which is the foundation for literally everything and you cannot have a pretty horse without dressage because they have no top line well and staying sounder for jumping too like you just think that you'd really want to stress the dressage foundation you would think but i know it's all about pleasing like the general population though and i think that people are so afraid of rocking the boat that they like either never share new information that they find in fear of people like coming after them with torches like it's happened to both of us (laughs) like people get mad it's currently Um, happening (laughs) or like if like you're just or you're scared to look into those things because people constantly tell you again and again that like that what you're doing is okay and you never question yeah and then when you do question it, I mean, everyone's like, why are you trying to screw things up? And you're, or they start using, you know, degrading terms and calling you a tree hugger or like, you know, that, oh my God, you're, you care about the horse's emotions, LOL. Like, and you're like, how do you not, like, how is your opinion the popular one? I don't, doesn't make Someone any sense. Someone called me like Raleigh for today, like today, because I said, hey, like maybe we shouldn't be like okay with horses having like vices all the time. <laughs> outlandish like like, you say you love your horse but then you're getting like mad at people for just being like hey like what if our horses were less stressed (laughs) and then they're just like fuck you (laughs) i know what if we didn't start horses when they were like you know a year and a half old like zoe got broken as a yearling like obviously my boss would never do that now and she's like she feels the same way about that as she does about you know or as i do about riding zoe when she was lame as a three-year-old she's fucking christ sentence um but i mean like it's just uh, and i mean i love my boss because she is one of the few people in this industry that i think you can literally just walk up to her and be like hey actually there's a study done this shows xyz and she's like okay cool let's do that then like she just doesn't give a fuck about the ego or anything like that and that's why i like my boss at the racetrack like why i went so hardcore defending racing is because she's just like that she actually considers things and like really makes an effort to like set an example of how to do better by the horses yeah like i I wish people like that were the ones that got the most media attention and that well, it's not in interesting. show jumping that we, in like in, in inventing and in dressage, that they just talk about more of the skeletons in the closet instead of pretending they don't exist. Yeah, um, and, and that is so true because, I mean, in racing, it's like they're on blast all the time and you only ever hear about the things that go wrong. And that's why, like, people, I mean, people have come for me about Azula because, I mean, I've made it very clear that I have all the intentions in the world unless she just blips off the face of the earth that she will be mine when she gets done racing and everyone's like why aren't you trying to prevent her from racing and i'm like honestly i don't have a huge problem with it it's not my favorite sport in the world but a it could be a ton worse and that's not necessarily a justification but i also know uh my boss's trainer who she uses i know how they work their horses and like i don't really have a huge problem with it obviously i think that people need to realize is that like you can't take like the really extremely like perfect side you have to like like if you want things to move better you need to kind of take small like 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 training a horse small approximations towards the right thing like yeah without degrading people and like you don't have to like racing but people should respect the race trainers that actually like care like care for their horses and like yeah i don't know 
represent the good in the community. Right. And lift those trainers up and support them instead of being like, you need to stop your industry altogether. It's like, well, let's start baby steps. I mean, like, I don't think racing necessarily needs to go away altogether. I think it could certainly Mm -hmm. improve in drastic ways, but, um, it doesn't mean... Every equine sport needs to oh be changed, God. and we need to yes. change laws around how to keep horses. Like, still livestock like... in America. <laughs> it's just mm-hmm. like, and they're recognized as sentient beings overseas, and that's like it blows my mind that we're just like, nope, they're still livestock. Like, since like I'm pretty sure the only people that still use horses to farm are the Amish. Like, that's about it. I don't know a single person that uses a horse as a farm animal. No, it's anymore. like super in common. They're like a luxury, um, yeah. thing. And it's funny because it used to be the poor people thing and now we've switched and now they're the, like an expression of status and, uh, wealth. And it's unfortunate because then the horse gets turned into a machine because it's goal is to rip yeah. and produce. And, well, and I would argue they're like similarly intelligent to dogs cause they yeah. can learn a lot of things and they're very like expressive. They have more facial expressions than dogs do, but we read their, um, we read their body language arguably worse. Yeah, um, and because it's also subtle. And, mm-hmm. like, I mean, even such simple debates as licking and chewing is still so up in the air. People <laughs> literally think that licking and chewing means the horse is literally digest- digesting the lesson. Like, bruh, you made a pun. Congrats. Or, That's... or trying to bite you when you're doing up the girth. They uh, just think that they're, like, quirky or, like, cranky or embarrassed. At TikTok. <laughs> The like, whole app. Milo pins his ears when the rain mists lightly and ruffles his hair, or when his wet tail gently brushes his leg in the breeze. But he does not pin his ears or try to bite <laughs> me when I do up the girth. Yeah, and also like, I just I literally don't get it. And like, if your horse is biting you, let's take a look at that just real fast. Like, don't you don't have to say like, oh, I love positive reinforcement. The horse's emotions matter. Just take a quick moment. Why, God, why would the horse be literally violently attacking you by biting you? That is or a like violent act of aggression. away from you in the field, you can't be like, oh, he's just like... He's, he's so sassy. A little. <laughs> he's disrespecting me. Oh it's like, no, he's saying see ya because he doesn't want to hang out with you because it sucks. <laughs> It's so blunt. <laughs> Literally, it cracks me up so much. Cause... Well, and like my like, and I say people get so offended when I say this, but the thing is that like my my old era, but like part of the reason why I wanted to sell him when I did was because he was so hard to catch that like I could never catch him, and then I also wanted to start jumping, and he didn't want to jump because he would like refuse. Yeah, and he was impossible to catch, but it was because I stalled him all the time, and he hated it. <laughs> but he was such you. a good boy about it and put up with it for years, and then when he finally got out he was kind of just like fuck you why would i come over there yeah (laughs) and and yeah i had a very similar experience when i first started with zoe she oh my god i remember she was at her like because my boss bred her and then sold her to a lady that gave me the ride on her and then i ended up buying her but when she was at that lady's farm she oh my god i remember it took me an hour to catch her for the farrier and it was like 105 outside like real feel and it's 50 it's 50 percent humidity here like all the time and zoe was dripping sweat panting she was white and i mean there were hills in that pasture and it was ridiculous and she wanted she's still running yes and i like i was like oh my god she's such an asshole lol and the farrier is like pissed but um like not once did i think why is this horse like despite the circumstances still 
trying to get away from me. Like, she is well, about to have a heat yeah, stroke. And... I, I relate. It doesn't get that hot here, but similar stuff. And, I, and the thing is, when they do that, by the time you do catch them, you're mad. And there's no way you want to <laughs> praise them for being exactly. caught. And so. Yeah, and it's, it's frustrating. And I think the common... And what I did in that situation was, I mean, I tried to, like, corner her. And, I mean, I've had similar situations in training, you know, with the farriers and stuff. Like, I mean, I had a horse that I couldn't catch the other day and because um, it's not one that I frequently mess with. And usually when she gets caught, she either gets wormed or her hooves done. So she's like, fuck you guys. Um, but the farrier was trying to help me catch her. And my tactic of catching is usually just, like, approaching calmly talking nicely, holding my hand out, letting her sniff it, maybe scratching her on the shoulder before I go to the lead rope or anything like that. And uh, he's, like, jumping around doing squats, like, hoo, hoo, hoo. like do, I'm like, this is not MC Hammer time, my dude. Like, what are you – you're scaring it. Also, I can't catch it when you're doing that because you're terrifying it. And that's it's just the traditional way of doing things. And I, I hope that people that are listening to this that ride traditionally are like, uh, that's not how I do it because I should fucking hope not. But, um, I just... It's just, like, even if, even if, like, I think the thing that people need to realize is that criticizing a lot of the ways, like, the more archaic, like, like, really aggressive training ways is not saying that everyone who, like, subscribes to, like, negative reinforcement does those things, but it's common enough that it's created a big problem. Like, the fact that on TikTok, people can even post videos of them, like, beating their horses and joking about it or hard tying their horse to a post having it pull back and absolutely lose its shit and like fall over Mm -hmm. and have like enough people in the comments being like ha 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 like that's great amazing like if you did that with a dog i really don't think it would fly like if you posted a video of you dragging a dog by the leash downstairs i don't think it would fly the same way and it makes even less sense to do that to a a flight flight animal animal. yeah why would you scare a flight animal and beyond that the the community in the comment sections on TikTok is the worst part of it because not only are they pumping up the person that is abusing the animal, but they're also like daring anyone who has anything to say about the ethicality of what's happening to, and you automatically get called a Karen automatically. They're, like, oh yeah, they get to so say? mad. Like, and they say the dumbest shit, like, and they'll just go after unrelated things. I've noticed mm-hmm. a lot. Like they'll yeah. just be like, Oh yeah. Well, like, you suck at riding or something. It's like, yeah. okay, well, maybe I suck at riding, but at least my horse isn't getting abused right now, and I'm not flexing it on TikTok. My favorite thing um, that people used to say was, like, why is she popular? She's never even won before. And I was like, my feelings are sore right now. Oh man, I don't. I didn't win, but my horse is happier. Yeah. I don't know. Like, the way I see people react, like, especially those videos on TikTok, it makes me so uncomfortable selling horses now, because I I'm know. like, people like that exist, and you don't don't know where they are or how much they'll escalate things when you're not around yeah and it's i mean god i don't know that's why i have just like i mean i don't know i've had multiple conversations with this because i and we're entering uncharted territory as far as we're not talking about young horses anymore but like uh, just as far as like having horses and committing to owning an animal is like i've had multiple conversations with friends and family and my therapist and like my life it like could invariably be better and I could have different and more things travel, get out of Arkansas, do different things if I didn't have a horse, but there's just no option. I committed and I love my horse more than life itself. And I like, I, yeah, I, exactly. I could not imagine giving her to anybody else. Who the hell's going to put up with all that? <laughs> like nobody. Oh, yeah, that's the same with Milo. Yeah. Like, huh. 
don't, don't get know. him forever. And, like, and then you always have to worry, too, is, like, down the road, if someone doesn't care as much as you do about, like, their daily routine you do to, like, have their lives mm-hmm. be better and, like, the money you put into them, then they could always end up somewhere worse. Yeah. And the line is so gray because there is a lot that people openly accept that is just unacceptable. Mm-hmm. So that's the thing. Like with young horses too, like whenever I'm selling my projects, it's really hard because you always have to worry about them like yeah. ending up somewhere that's not going to do them justice because they could look, they could come ride your horse, they could look great, they could be lovely, and then they mm-hmm. could just not be what you expect and they could do other things yeah i mean behind closed doors we've had that happen and it's it's awful i mean we had somebody call us about a horse that we um had sold the horse had been sold for a year and uh it went lame they competed at lame and then they called and um were like hey just want to let you know he's lame he's not getting better and you know my boss was like okay well what's wrong with him and they were like well we don't know we don't want to pay the vet bill so we're just going to get rid of him and uh, she was like, mm, you're actually going to bring him back to me, but okay. <laughs> and so she did and we have him now and we're, now we're trying to fix all of his issues. Well, and, and like doing that, like being that disconnected, like at the very least, like the one thing that I will not guilt trip people over is like, if you have a horse, like even if it's a young horse and even in the case that like you rushed it and it became injured, I would respect someone more for choosing to, like, euthanize it instead of yeah. sell it when it's, like, career-ending yeah. unsound. Well, like, and I mean... Give it away for free and hope for the best. Like, if you aren't willing to upkeep it, don't just essentially pay, play Russian roulette. Yeah, well, and I mean, with that particular case, I actually got in trouble for talking about it already once, and I'm trying even harder to keep it anonymous this time. <laughs> but um, it was frustrating because they were like, we, well, we were going to find it a good home, blah, 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 and I'm like... I, I, no, <laughs> it's, it's not a hard fix. And also like they, their reason for returning the horse allegedly was that, uh, we sold them a lame horse. They had the horse for a year. A year. Also we're told about, you know, prior injuries. Um, it, it, it happened. I was present. I listened to the conversations. It happened. And they say that it's not in there spreading all sorts of uh, stuff around our industry which is like okay you do you but that's not what happened and it's so frustrating because you know it's just it's more in that vein of justification like this horse had an issue and you didn't want to help it so you point the finger at everybody else instead of being like okay how can we help this horse and, and yeah that's the problem with all the young horse stuff too is that mm-hmm. it creates that stuff like they're more likely to have those problems really early on and I don't know, like, if you have a horse that's, like, eight years old and it's completely unsound and it can't do anything, like, that's a lot of years to try to keep that horse alive yeah. in a safe place. Well, and that's and that's the thing, too. It's with dangerous. The, yeah, and it goes back to the young horse thing. When you start them too early, they end up being those hard cases, and you're setting that horse up to end up either in a kill lot or in somebody's backyard rotting away or, you know, I mean, like, you're not setting the horse up for a life that is worth it living it's better off dead than just being rushed through the levels and then ending up with injuries where it makes it you know quote-unquote useless to most people because well and at its core like i think people just need to acknowledge that like yeah you want to compete your young horse and like i'm not saying every aspect of doing that is unethical of course and i don't think showing is necessarily unethical but it's not in, it's not for the horse. You're not competing for the horse. You're not entering them in young horse classes no. for the horse. It's not for, like, the benefit of the horse, you know? Like, you compete because it's for the person, and there's not 
anything wrong with that so long as you continue the you, like so long as you consider the horse but I completely so many agree. people make excuses so they don't have to consider the horse because it gets in the way sometimes of goals yeah well and that's that's a harsh reality i had to face with zoe i mean it was either keep competing and keep you know getting worse with her or um you know like try and rehab her and then get back to competing and it's just it's not worth it and I I realized I care more about her than I do about competing and I'm not saying that if you continue competing that you don't care about your horse like I'm not I'm not against competing in any respect whatsoever but I think that a lot of things that happen within that umbrella are really not cool and get brushed under the rug because it's commonplace and a lot of people do it and we run on those justifications like the horse wants to do it or I'm doing him like I used to always think that because I wasn't running Zoe super upper levels that I was doing her talent a disservice and like how that's common how brainwashed do you have to get in your industry to think that you don't deserve your horse no they like the horses do not care no they don't they're just horses if you left them out in a pasture they're not going to be jumping imaginary grand prix fences if you put them in a pasture with grand prix fences they're not going to jump in like horse people are just also super anti-science no matter like you could have like great sources and they don't want them if it conflicts with popular thought yeah and like there's certain things at this point that we know too much about to like not even consider fixing Mm-hmm. And, and I think that, yeah, like at at the core, like with the thing with the young horses, it's all connected to like everything else that we talked with talked about in your podcast, and like mm-hmm. even even when they're older and moving up the levels, or when you like a horse goes lame and you have to find you have to give them away and discard them, or so on and so forth. Like just like they're disposable and they're just here for what we want to do, and we're not like I don't know. It's not popular enough to actually be able to read horse behavior let alone like yeah. consider it in what you do and when you do and... you get shamed for it <laughs> mm-hmm. and i mean like i and i mean obviously not everybody's like that and most of the people that do it i honestly believe are not doing it intentionally i don't think that people are trying to disregard science like knowingly i think it's more of a, a like it's it's fear inducing because you're like yeah it's like a defensive response because they don't want to come to terms with it because it's also hard like you do feel guilty and like even now like there's definitely things like you're learning all the time and you can even in one day you can have a bad day where you do a bad job at like what you're doing at the barn and be like shit like i should have i could have done that better or like yeah looking back on older stuff and being like holy crap i can't believe i did that yeah but at least coming to terms with it is like better than never actually learning because then it continues to harm the horses over like an extended period of time and that's like with our platforms I do think it's important to discuss it because for like the young up-and-coming riders who've been with trainers and haven't felt comfortable with what's going on and are shamed when they say stuff Mm -hmm. they need like other sources pointing it out and like directing them to other credible sources to learn more so they don't get like shamed out of the horse world because those are the people that will make a difference in the long run and 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 those people, I don't know. they can avoid, because I mean, most of us start out, you know, anytime you interact with a horse, the most common phrase that comes out of a child's mouth is like, well, I don't want to hurt it. You know, they they don't want to brush harder or pull harder or kick harder because they don't want to hurt the horse. But slowly over time, we get indoctrinated to think that uh, like, uh, how many times have you heard? Oh, oh yeah. That's like literally the saddest thing ever. Yeah, I thought it, about it that way. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, oh, it doesn't hurt the horse. Says fucking who? Like <laughs> you're kicking it. Like, I mean, I get it. We all, we've all been there. 
And I mean, I still do it to this day when I need a rather lazy individual to go forward. I put my leg on, which is a polite way of saying I kick it with a spur on and we go forward. And I mean, like, I get it. I understand where people come from, but I also recognize that that's not something I agree with. You know? Well, and you can't say that they like it. It's the same thing no. with, like, bidding up. Like, you can recognize that there's certain situations where it's necessary and where it's justified and where your hands might actually be okay enough for it not right. to cause a huge problem. Well, but, and like, for me and you, it's you our job. You choose different equipment to have more control or power yeah. or be able to do something easier, right? Like, yeah. And both I you and know. I, like, it's our jobs. And also, like, I mean, obviously the clear answer is, like, well, then why are you doing that job if you disagree? Because what we said in the beginning, that it's better us who at least acknowledge that this is not what we want to be doing and are trying to do it in a better, lighter, more ethical way than the traditional way, which is either blaming the horse or making up justifications that are not founded in uh, any sort of behavior analysis. They're, like, And so, I mean, I don't know. And I, I'm not on some high horse where I think that I'm better than everyone or no more. I'm still learning every single day. And I have been proven wrong more times to count <laughs> than saying that I'm right. But I mean, it, yeah. I just, I really think that um, it's better to at least wake up and acknowledge the reality and acknowledge that it's not something that you are necessarily comfortable with just because it's happening and you keep doing it doesn't mean you have to agree with it you know I don't know if that well, and you can recognize sense. that something in the off chance can be used properly while still saying I don't agree with it because it's yeah. largely not used properly and our horse world isn't at the point where they can we can all trust them to use it properly because being so aggressive and like angry at horses and blaming their behaviors on the horse and not on anything the rider does it's so normalized that it makes it more dangerous if someone's holding like a whip or has spurs or a bigger bit because they're more likely to get frustrated if you think that way yeah i agree and i think it's it's just unfortunate and i think it's i I don't know that it's going away anytime soon i hope that it's it's starting to and i hope that but what you and i are trying to do here is again not to shame anyone at least i mean i don't think (laughs) it's i mean it's it's blunt and it's probably uncomfortable to hear to some degree because i mean both you and i are not necessarily holding back but i'm well and we're calling ourselves out though is that they need to understand that it's not like oh we're better than you because we've never done this it's like this is something that's seen on a large scale and have done continue to do to yeah. some degree but i'm trying to be better and learn how to do those things in a more ethical way and instead of just justifying it away with some arbitrary support mm-hmm. and- it's hard to have foresight and like look at the situation practically all the time because horses are frustrating and it yeah. is really hard to work with them so i understand making mistakes and like that's totally a normal part of like horse training it doesn't require you I think, like, <laughs> making yeah. a justification or blaming the horse Exactly, and, and, like, that's really what we need to change the most in the horse world is not, like, changing all aspects of care and be like, oh, if you don't use positive reinforcement, you suck, or, like, this right. or that, um, or if you use any punishment, you're bad. It's just, like, making the conversation be more acceptable because people get shamed for suggesting that certain practices are abusive even when they're not being used properly, like, people whipping their horses so far after the horse did the wrong thing that they can't possibly associate it with that Mm -hmm. like stuff like that does need like if you're going to use a whip as a punisher your timing needs to be bang on otherwise you're being a dick and like (laughs) like arguably you're being a dick either way but if you're not even 
marking the correct behavior you're being a super dick and like yeah even when you are using a whip like and you're using it properly like it should never be a situation where you post like a video or like yeah. a picture of you like flexing the fact that you're like hitting the like it's so freaking weird it's like like having fights with friends and stuff is normal but it'd be weird to post something and be like haha like just called my friend a total bitch look how quirky Lol. we are lol Just not like <laughs> other girls in the face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i mean that's like and i mean you would never ever post a video being that aggressive to a dog and or to another person and i get it like humans are on a different level fine pick any other species literally any other species except yeah, like for a maybe cat. a cow can you imagine if someone posted a video of them just kicking a cat like you just drop kick a cat and then <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, like, like no one would be okay and, with that. You know, people might say, it, it's "Okay, very well, skewed. like we view yeah. horses as these machines that can't feel like anything, and that when we're hard on them, that they can't feel it, so it's basically nothing, or that they're being bad and they're doing this and that." But yeah. it's so sad because they're flight animals. Like, they're ninety percent of the time they're probably fucking scared shitless. Like, and it sucks because from a young age, it's so ingrained that it's really hard to completely get out of that mindset. 100% of the time. Yeah. And well, and people get so upset and so patronizing when you imply that it's possible that a horse is reacting out of fear because they're like, oh my God, my horse isn't afraid of everything. And I'm like, mm, actually, it's a flight animal. It, that's its natural tendency is to be fearful of things it doesn't understand or recognize. Yeah, and, and pain too, where you're like, oh, maybe they're in pain. People get mad. And like, yeah. I don't know, I, I can see why people get defensive because honestly, people are really mean in the horse world and they'll be like super douchey about things. Even if they're right, they go about it in the wrong way. So it creates defensiveness, which is like, again, that's why these conversations are important Mm -hmm. because people need to not feel like attacked completely like personally when you're saying things it's not there's a difference in attacking someone's character and attacking their actions and some beliefs that are frankly outdated and just don't really have a place in the industry anymore because we know better now and it's okay to change it's okay to admit that you were wrong and that Mm -hmm. what you do doesn't make sense anymore but it did to you at one time and you can only do better when you know better if you don't know that there's another way or if you don't know that there's another explanation or reason of course you're going to just go off of what you know yeah and like acknowledging mistakes and growth is like no one should be ashamed of that you you should be able to look back and be like yeah i was wrong here and i learned and now i think this like if people try to shame me for that they're the wrong ones and i don't know it's it's a whole weird culture in the horse world where we kind of bully people to shut them up about certain things so strange and it's it it makes it so that it's really hard for people to have growth because like I don't like resources weren't very accessible for me before because I didn't know where to look when I started taking equine science classes that really changed a lot for me Mm -hmm. but like it it can be hard to know where to look if you don't know what you're even freaking looking for and like a lot of people don't it's not normalized to understand equine behavior it's not normalized to understand like the correct ages to start horses and what's too much to ask and when a situation's handled poorly and stuff and most people are just totally ignorant but they want the best for the horse and then when they hear other people talking otherwise it sounds so radical that they feel super defensive and attacked yeah and because nobody likes feeling stupid or like they've done something wrong and so i mean how could you blame them for being defensive but at the same time it's like okay but also i would be willing to bet that most people up and coming riding uh until i started studying positive reinforcement i had no idea why inside leg to outside rein worked no idea like mechanically i just i knew that somehow the horses just got that i had no idea why it was working obviously now i know it is because of uh reinforcement and 
uh, pressure release, but I had no idea, and I would be willing to bet yeah, that most people true. don't. You just know the mechanics behind it. You don't know, like, what the training theory actually is. No, and you don't know why the horse is responding that way and why it's learning. All you know is that everybody keeps saying inside leg to outside rein, and some, for some reason the horse puts its head down, and it seems to be working, so why question it? It's like math for me. That's what I used to yeah, always it's compare like the it to. Yeah, it's like the same thing with, like, heels down and stuff where you don't learn the function behind the thing. Exactly. You just learn how to do it. And then you end up with people with broken ankles, and you're like, why? Why your heel does not need to be on your horse's shoulder so that it yeah, can be like, broken whoa, in is half. Yeah, like, your foot just falling off? Like, I, like I, I overstretched my heels, too, so I'm guilty yeah, of that. Yeah, me but, like, too. I had to get my base syrups. It's, it's, like, everything like that, though. Like, if you see a horse pinning their ears when the girls set up or someone, like, jumping a young horse or doing this and that, and everyone's like, oh, that's just the way it is, it's fine. You start to parrot mm-hmm. the same view to everyone else if no one contradicts it. Yeah. And then... And then when you it do contradict it, it's hard it. to take in other views, especially if the people you're around are like really harsh towards mm-hmm. the other side. And I don't know. I still have a hard time speaking up to my farrier because I mean, like if they, like it's he's just so confident that I'm just uh, like he he texted me today and he was like I'm here hippie and I was like cool love that. But that's such a freaking man thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> like that's I'm, the most like, man thing ever, hippie. I, Care like, about so, I'm sorry, I want to be nice to my animals, but nice yeah, I don't know. There's it. a lot of people like that, and they skip, they make people question themselves and start feeling stupid. For That's thinking what I, a certain I way. every single time. And a lot of people don't know how to critically think well enough to know where to look for sources or what they mean, and like mm-hmm. it can be so hard. So yeah, like this is long, so we should probably wrap this up yeah, soon. It's but, almost two hours. <laughs> um, yeah, but I guess like the, the main thing is like to people like, listening to this is that they really just like learning and growing is awesome and like if you do feel like if you hear this and you react violently and angry and you want to go to like jill's page or my page and tell us how we're horrible and can't ride and that our horses are ugly and are hating and being passive aggressive just please explore why those emotions are so intense and why you're looking into those types of things instead of looking into like why what you're doing is okay rather than just like screw you you're wrong you know yeah and research and critical thinking skills because that's the only way to grow and change as a rider and there's a lot more to horse riding and like competing than just like ribbons and results that only you care about and the horse like they don't know what the fuck is going on yeah you have to give the horse a reason to want to do those things and beyond that like it's it's frustrating because like i i get this all the time with like you know some of the topics that i touch on is people being like well you're so passive aggressive and rude towards people who use negative reinforcement because i talk about it not being my preferred you know first tactic but the reality is i use negative reinforcement so why on earth would i be saying that people who use it are horrible people and beyond that like I I get a lot of well not all people who train traditionally or with negative reinforcement ride like that and I'm like okay so if you're not that person yeah yeah, if you're not that person if that description did not fit you why are you upset it's most likely not used to it ever being questioned so like questioning it at all feels like an attack well and beyond that they know they're not supposed to do those things usually so but I mean like you know when you say like you shouldn't hit your horse or beat it for not jumping because there could be an underlying explanation like fear or pain people are like well that's not how traditional training works you want to use euphemisms and make it sound better and uh not acknowledge that you've done those things most of the time and then it becomes this cyclical thing of like well I'm not abusing my horse but he's acting like that because he's being disrespectful so then I have to 
punish him, but it's not abuse. Yeah. Well, and, like, the other thing that people need to realize is that for, like, both you and I is, like, I think that they don't necessarily realize. It's not like every horse person we interact with thinks exactly the same way as us, but you need to, like, I don't know, like, talking about these things, all you can hope for is that people will just consider them and start to slightly adapt their training methods. It can yeah. be, like, considering your timing better if you are going to punish or, like, looking into a problem that's been extending a lengthy period of time where your horse is like pinning their ears not or labeling it a personality it like a trait occurrence. yeah but like the slight change towards just being more considerate and more open-minded of like the horses and what they're trying to communicate rather than just assuming it's bad behavior that's really all that yeah needs to be asked you are for is, bang on with that because that is exactly what i do i think when i first transitioned positive reinforcement i think we talked about this online um but i was so aggressive because i was projecting my own guilt to some extent that I was just like, everybody who does this, you're wrong. Look how wrong you are. And now I'm, because I'm not like super radical anymore <laughs> and I've kind of eased off and seen and recognized the value in using negative reinforcement and where traditional training has a place. And now I'm more of the mind that like, I mean, it just, it, everything has a balance and that there's no need to shame everyone for not you know, believing the same thing, but we can adapt and learn and grow. Even if sometimes you go too far in the opposite direction, I mean, eventually you find that middle ground and everyone's allowed to do that. And yeah. And like, and discussion and just like saying things like this, like it should be welcomed and people shouldn't feel attacked by it at all. Especially like, I don't know, it's just generalized information and it doesn't come from nowhere. Like everything mm -hmm. we're discussing, there has been studies on, like you can find them and, like it there just needs to be more of an open discussion in the horse world if we care enough about the animals and want to get better because like the world doesn't know that much and we've been learning way more about horses in recent years that we didn't know before so there's no reason to not change certain practices and methods as we learn more and, yeah. and i don't know yeah i mean it's only a mistake if you don't learn from it so if you continue to perpetuate behaviors that have been disproven despite knowing better then i mean that's I believe a mistake, but yeah. if, if you know better then like, yeah, that might, you know, your past might not have been exactly what you wanted it to be now that you know more, but you can't do anything about it. All you can do yeah. is try and improve and learn from that. And yeah. And like, and it's okay to make mistakes. That's the thing. Like, and, it, and honestly, like there's not always ways to quickly change your situation with horses, depending on where you are. Like if you're on lesson horses and stuff, it can be really hard to exactly, like, do yeah. things exactly how you want to. So you just have to do your best. I think that's the main thing is, like, do your best and value, like, credible information. And we just all need to recognize that, like, horse trainers that have no behavioral knowledge past just, like, what they know practically with training horses from what anecdotal experience, they're not the be-all and end-all when it comes to discuss discussing welfare. And, like, generally exactly. they're, like, who you don't want to listen to and straight up neither are we i mean i listen yeah. to us not that last part but like we're not the authority on it there are studies out there there are people out there look at take a look at all of the opinions don't take our word yeah. for it well look and all yourself. we're doing is relaying information that we've found and then yeah. people can look into the information we've offered mm -hmm. go find some other stuff and then find where they stand with things like you don't have to completely subscribe to one person's school of thought like do your own research and i say that about everyone i don't care if it conflicts with me like i would way rather have someone question me and throw down like a good study than like 
be yeah. like, you're well, done. And that, that is another thing in the horse world that I won't go too deep into, but we really do foster such a sense of dependency on a trainer and a specific method because that's how we're brought up. You have one trainer and that's it. And it's even shame to have multiple trainers because you're getting told different things. And beyond that, it's like, why is there no consistency? <laughs> and like, why couldn't you have more than one trainer? Whereas like, I feel like in behavioral based training, even if it's not positive reinforcement, just that that's based in science, there are a set of general principles. And that's why people, I think when yeah, they, they start, don't want you to see other schools of thought. Yeah. And when you start it's training, super discouraged, especially at training barns with yeah. lots of like students. Yeah. And when you have like, like in the dog world, I mean, everyone pretty much knows, you know, you hold your hand over the dog's head, it sits, you click treat. I mean, that's pretty basic. And the way mm-hmm. that you go about training, most of the trick and agility or working dog behaviors are... They, they love it. And there's a regimen. Like, everyone knows mm-hmm. how to do it in this almost near the exact same way. But in the horse world, there's so much opinion and ego tied up in it that you can't, like nobody wants to listen to anything else. Yeah, and we're super anti-change. Like, honestly, the fact, like, I think quieting like people having different opinions and like being mean to them and just like that toxic behavior it makes us so anti-change because people are afraid to talk and they're also afraid to look or they don't know where to look and i don't know all this stuff will improve because it's all tied together but it like all has to start to move towards the right direction yeah and again that's like the not going or throwing the baby out with the bathwater thing you can't just expect a total radical change overnight you have to take the little victories like you and i working in industries Mm -hmm. that aren't exactly aligned with our ethical moral principles but trying to make the industries better by the way that we treat our horses and use our platforms yeah and like spreading information when people ask and like i don't know like despite I having have, hate videos made about studies you. that they didn't know about before and they learned something so you know like just finding sharing information that they hadn't considered before and like yeah and it's it's, it's amazing so and when you present it in a certain way i think it's really effective like my dominant theory episodes i had so many people message me and be like honestly i was hate listening to your episode i thought you were so stupid and then i was like oh wait <laughs> actually she might have a point and uh there are exceptions to that but um the yeah that's awesome yeah like i posted it on my story i was like that was my favorite comment ever like i genuinely thought you were an idiot and now i'm like oh wait (laughs) kind of right though that's the thing like that's why different opinions are so important because someone could hear the same thing like a thousand different times and then the way it's said the thousandth time might be Mm -hmm. what makes the difference for them so like that's why it's really good for like especially on like these episodes both you and i have different opinions on things yeah I don't know, like, the one thing I think, like, riders that don't train and, like, do stuff on a professional level like that, I think they need to consider the fact that, like, there's a bunch of different schools of thought that people have, and, like, all trainers, like, will not all train the same way, and they'll all have different mindsets and opinions on things, yeah. and they all coexist happily and your trainer can't each possibly other. know everything. But there's everything. a baseline acceptable welfare that we should accept on a mass scale, and, like, yeah. there's certain things that just need to become more commonplace and more educated, and... It'll take time, so until it completes t- the change to that direction, like, people just have to do the best they can and yeah, learn to coexist and discuss opinions, like, civilly without personally attacking people or being mean because, like, I don't know. Those types of reactions are usually fear reactions, and honestly, sometimes I react, like, quickly to things, like mm-hmm. ADHD brain. You know, you read something and you <laughs> yep, read it wrong, 100%. and you're like, fuck you, and it's like, oh, shit. They I can't are, tell like, you how many times that's happened. Like, oh, wait, that's not what you meant at all. Yeah, but I mean, I I completely agree, and I think 
You hit the nail on the head. Big crunch. Everyone yeah, listening. Yeah, I'm eating a watermelon. <laughs> oh, um, it's so hot in here. Like, my room is a sauna. Uh, so, yeah, after well, this, I'm going to march outside. Mine, stand there. mine definitely just stopped doing that. I was so upset earlier when I was recording an episode because my uh, I have a box fan. Like, the type that's for my oh, horse. I love those. It has dead wasps in it from being in the barn. <laughs> and I brought it into my house because it's so damn hot in here in the evenings but I, when i'm recording i can't use it because it's so much oh yeah i had to turn mine off and i had to close my windows too because the horses and dogs oh like make sounds but right. yeah anyways like we got a lot covered like even starting young horses again yeah and i don't know i hope that gives people some food for thought like because th- these episodes are so conversational that like i'm hoping that it'll, it'll help it be well received too because it's just like that's really all it is is just to have a conversation and like consider new things you know and like well and like you said i mean i i mean you pointed out a lot of things that i have never considered in this conversation and in the one that we had on my episode and um i mean there are some things that you say that i disagree with but it's not like so it's not a visceral like oh my god you're attacking me how dare you shelby like i'm just like yeah that's uh, not me but i see why you do that or why and like it's not i don't get offended when you have a different point of view and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that i mean it's a very natural reaction but i think that's when we start moving past um having so much ego tied up and everything which mm-hmm. is how we're taught in the horse world by the way everything yeah, we is... can't view all situations as black and white like no. disliking certain equipments and stuff in theory like there might be the one-off situation where they're okay or like certain things like i don't know there's there's certain things that like it's more understandable why people do what they have to do in a certain situation 100%. and like i don't know like that that's what people need to realize is thinking something a certain way and subscribing to a certain school of thought doesn't mean you're like attacking people who have a different school of thought and it doesn't mean you hate them or think that they're like yeah being horrible to their horses it just means that like there are things that you wish would change and it's also not just them it's like a mass problem right like right. it's it's an ideology that plagues the animal world, but the horse world, I think, is really far behind. But right. and I don't know. Anyways, I, I feel like I'm talking far too much. No, I feel the same way. I mean, it's just, I, I was going to say, at, at baseline, in order to explain why you use a method, you have to at least, at the very least, indirectly explain why you don't prefer the other ones and I think that's where people get really uncomfortable and that's where you start seeing echo chambers happen because you block out everyone who disagrees with you and it's very hard not to do trust me I want to do it literally all the fucking time because when people start disagreeing with me a confrontation makes me wildly uncomfortable and b like it it's just frustrating when you're trying so hard to make a point and make a change and then um you know people are like well you're attacking me because you yeah, don't like being like rude to you and yeah. stuff. It's, and like you don't yeah, like, like negative think, reinforcement or traditional training and you always talk down about it and I'm like I am explaining why I don't use it as my go to. Yeah. But I don't and stuff gets lost hate in it. translation. Yeah. Like I don't think people realize when you're posting stuff often and doing like like we just had a conversation right now and like if other people filmed a conversation with friends and then had it released to the public, like it it can be hard to properly articulate things that you're saying like what you mean in words let alone in writing especially with us and (laughs) trying to have a conversation we're both bouncing all over the place all the time yeah exactly i'm sure there are like eight incomplete thoughts even harder to talk it to because like even when i've been really soft about how i've said things when people have specifically asked my opinion it's hard not to offend people 
Yeah. Well, I've always respected whether we are on opposing sides or not. It's very frustrating when we are on opposing sides because I want to rip your fucking head off because <laughs> you're so blunt. But I mean, at the same time, like you're not wrong. I mean, and I respect it to some degree because I definitely do not have that. I am like, let's paint it in sugar and rainbows. And one of the recent arguments I got on, I actually thought to myself to embrace my inner Shelby because I have, there's no reason I should be apologizing for like supporting yeah. my arguments and believing what I well, believe. Well, yeah, like you, you gotta stand where you think is right. And like the thing is, there's a big difference from like having beliefs that actually have some founded by science information and just having beliefs, you know, like, yeah. I don't know. It, you gotta stand where you think is right if people ask you. But at the same time, there's like a, you can't just expect everyone to do everything the same way. So you have to make some acceptances and like, exactly. I feel I like that's where you and I would like to see I... some change, but I, yeah. I think it is coming eventually. Yeah. And I think that's, I mean, you and I both have grown and seen that change in very different directions and different journeys, but I think we've pretty much ended in a very similar place. Oh yeah. And, um, and I mean, that just happens. Cause I mean, like I said, we, at one point, I, I don't know if the feeling was mutual, but I did not like you very much. And oh no, yeah. We had, we had a, a, a spat. <laughs> Multiple yeah. in the DMS, but, uh, and on, in comment sections, but I mean, the fact oh, yeah. that we're able yeah, to have, one. yeah, <laughs> yep. oops. Yeah. <laughs> My bad. But, like that, That's the thing. There's a process to learning and it's hard to like act right. 100% the, 100% of the time with humans, let alone with horses yeah. and like, there's everyone is learning and growing and I think a lot of people would probably think because like we've done this at similar times they probably think to some extent like oh it's like for show on social media like everyone's doing 100% not but realistically I think people are just maturing and like with their education that they get from school or wherever I could not talk to you on the phone for two hours for sources and learn new things and then they change their ways because of that well and that's the thing too I mean both you and I were on very opposing sides and then we both took steps to educate ourselves and we ended up in the same place from yeah. two very different stances. So that I think that speaks a lot more to the power of actually educating yourself than just running off yeah. of blatant well, opinion. Well, like bouncing ideas off of other people and then you learn like different things. And even if you don't 100% agree with them, you can be like, okay, that makes sense. Right. In that situation, I understand that. And like, yeah, like I think these things are great for that. And I hope like the, the podcast on turnout is really great. And then like, this one will be too, and I think honestly, like we do go off track, but the conversational <laughs> nature of this yeah. will hopefully feel less threatening to people. Yeah, because um, I mean, it's that's not what it's intended to do, but it definitely yeah. is to be like, okay, it's time to take a look at the shit because it's not easy. But nobody's being attacked. We welcome yeah. the the adaptation, and if you don't adapt, at least now you have the information to have made an informed choice and still choose mm-hmm. to do what you're doing. Well, and even a year from now, me or you could be like, okay, like actually, I've slightly changed my opinion about this. Like, I've I'm sure it will, no doubt. Yeah, but yeah, it's been a really good talk. Yeah. And then, like, any of the your like Instagram plugs and whatnot you want to share, like, yeah. So send it. Yeah, yeah. so uh, basically I have a website, uh, jedekwithyuri.com, and spelled pretty much exactly how it sounds, and uh, I have a bunch of resources and blogs and stuff on there, um, and I also have a podcast, which has been under the name Equine in Theory and Jet Roll Podcast, and is now headed in the direction of either Psyquestrian <laughs> or Equitheory, it is yet to be determined, um, I don't know if I will have it determined by the time this goes up, but... Um, <laughs> just check Jet Equithery on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, and I'm sure it'll be on one of those places at least. Tag somewhere. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. So bad at marketing. Podcast. No, 
know I relate. Yeah, you definitely have done it too, so it's okay. But I think that's about it. I mean, it's pretty much yeah. just. Well, and that, this is great. We'll, we'll have, we have lots of like interesting discussions about different topics. So, like, I'm sure we'll do this yeah, again sometime. Yeah, 100%. And hopefully, people like the episodes, even though I'm sure it gets confusing because we both have <laughs> and we just go on tangents. But, yeah. like, honestly, it's. it's these are my favorite type of conversations. In every other instance of life, so. Yeah, it's my favorite type of conversation when we both have so much to say that we're both, like, trying to talk over each other because it's like, no, wait, I, got, I got it, and then it just, it doesn't end, and then we have trouble stopping talking it's, after. It's like, it's like when you're at a four-way stop, and, like, someone starts to go, and then they stop. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly, and it's, it's crazy because I have already filmed a two-hour episode and then did an hour-and-a-half long live stream, and I'm still talking for a two-and-a-half-hour podcast. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, you need to rest now. I'm going to go outside because I am freaking melting. Yeah, I feel you. I need to take a shower. I stink. Yeah. <laughs> but, okay, all right. thank you so much for doing this with me, and I'm excited yeah, of to course. have them both up eventually. Yeah, God knows yeah. when mine will go up, but it's on yeah. some sort of schedule. Yeah, thank but... you again, and have a great night. And yeah, thank you, we'll too. We'll do this again sometime. All right. All right, bye. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for everyone for listening to my podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And personally for me, I really like the conversational nature of having someone else on the podcast, especially someone like Jill, because we do have difference in opinions and we kind of fall on different parts of the spectrum, even though we have a lot of similar views. So it makes for a really good conversation to share differing opinions and whatnot. And I'm hoping in doing that, people will feel like it's more of a conversation and less of an attack, as I know some of my previous podcasts or written posts kind of can make people feel defensive in that way but I'm hoping that some of what's discussed gives people new things to think about and consider and look further into and at the end of the day it's kind of just up to you to do your own research and look further into things and decide where you fall on the spectrum of horse training and that's totally up to you with your individual life and your horses and what you look into so don't feel like this is a pressure to kind of do things the exact same thing myself or Jill does but I'm hoping that it'll open the door for further discussion and just to have people consider more and more of what they've been learning and what other people have told them because unfortunately there's a lot of important information that is left out in writing school knowledge and so on and so forth. So I think this is a very important conversation and it's one I really enjoyed having and I'm sure we'll do more of these in the future. So if anyone ever has topic suggestions and whatnot, that's something that I'm totally open to. And also if there's anyone else you would like for me to invite on the show, like feel free to give suggestions and I'm happy to go and try to ask people if they would be interested in coming on here and discussing things. And also there's options where you as viewers can send in voice clips and whatnot for questions. So eventually we could do a podcast like that too if anyone wants to send in voice clips for like commentary and questions that they want included in the podcast and we can do stuff like that so that it's more of a conversation and less of a one-sided me blabbering so thank you again for all of your support with my podcast and I really appreciate all of you that listen and the nice things that you have to say about it and I really really appreciate Jill taking the time to have done this with me and having me on her podcast which the episode might not have aired by the time this is up but that will be up soon and it'll also be another very interesting conversation I absolutely had like a blast filming these and it led to a lot of good conversation and consideration. So it was something so important and great. So thank you again for listening and I hope you all have an amazing day.